pretty eyes looking at me. You enjoy my eyeballs. Your blue eyeballs. And their pigment. Specifically. As opposed to what? Yellow My secret eyeballs. red eyeballs <laughs> embedded in my chest. Yeah, yellow eyeballs and red eyeballs are pretty much a no-no. Yellow eyeballs? Well, yeah, because... Well, there was famously a demon in Supernatural, and he was called Yellow Eyes. I feel like nothing that happened on the TV series Supernatural can be described as famous. Hey, that was that's a big show. Well, they're on, like, season 59, but it was a big show at one point, for sure. Once upon a time. And the conventions sell out, like, they sell hard. Is there a convention for any TV show that doesn't no. sell out? Well, yes. Every show, no matter how crappy, has its hardcore fan base. No That's matter not how true small because they are. when I went to Veronica Mars convention, basically the organizer had to pair Veronica Mars and Prison Break together in order to even get there was a weird a semi. Yeah, and the 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 attendance count was still less than five hundred. Is five hundred not a lot for a? No, it's not a lot. But yeah, in Supernatural, there was a demon called Yellow Eyes. So to me, Yellow Eyes is like a bad thing. He was called Yellow Eyes. And I remember now. Yeah, because he had yellow eyes. And that was his like most distinguishing feature. Not no, that but he, he was just like... looked like a regular person. Oh. But when he kind of got demonized. Basically, all the demons, you know when we say they've got demonized black eyes? Yeah. All the demons are like that. But he was a special demon. And he had yet because he had yellow eyes. So he was like an extra powerful one. And so they distinguished him from the other demons by calling him Yellow Eyes. Are these demons supposed to be able to blend in amongst humanity? Yeah, they're humanity? just people. They're possessed by demons. And no one's like, hey, that guy's got yellow eyes. Well, he's a t- different. He I wears think... sunglasses the whole time? Well, yeah, props. People just think he's a douche. <laughs> Hipster douche. <laughs> But yeah, so I I feel like yellow or red is like a bad... Whenever you see that in anything, that's a bad thing. But everyone gets red eyes when they're tired. No, that's not the same. It's more or less the same. No, I just fucking look at you one day and my eyes are red. Just full red. <laughs> I feel like I can never really tell when someone has bloodshot eyes. And I feel like yeah, you I can, yeah. can tell it very easily. Like you're sometimes like, oh, your eyes are so bloodshot. And then I'll I look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I that made you sound like a... That made me sound like a cunt. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but sure. It made yeah, you seem a bit cunty. more... You just persnickety. look at someone and go, wow, your eyes. Are. Oh, it makes me think of when people look at you after you've clearly been doing some form of like exertion and... You're red. Or even if it's sure. cold and your face is red and people look at you and go, wow, your face is so red. And I'm like, really? Really? I don't enjoy this. I don't know what you're saying. It's too quiet. Yeah, I'm speaking over you so that yeah. you can't hear it. You fuck? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I dare you. Yeah, I hate when people feel the need to say the obvious. A lot of times it's just those Sorry. awkward silences. You look like a tomato. People have said that to if me. If someone said, you look like a tomato, <laughs> you are well within your rights to punch them, I feel. Yeah. I'm not a violencer. You're not a violent person by nature. No. I, I would like to be. You're a lover, a not lo- a fighter. <laughs> yeah. A lover. There's not a song there. I was just... waiting for <laughs> some revelatory lyrics to roll on forth. Yeah. 
Okay, so should we get into the topics then? Shall we get into the podcast proper? To the... <laughs> I'm wheezy. Yeah. That's the October, November for you. That's what's done me. It's done you in. It's done me in, yeah. Okay, so what have you got for me? Okay, so the first thing that I want to talk about is a news story I saw on a website called Recode, although... This news story is obviously everywhere. This is just where yeah. I happen to see it. And it's entitled, Twitter is shutting down its video app, Vine. And it's pretty self-explanatory. Who even knew that Vine was a part of Twitter? I, I feel mean. like I could have guessed, honestly. Yeah. It feels like all these smaller sites are always owned by like the big, yeah. the big daddies in the space. And so, yeah, I wanted to talk about, A, Vine shutting down... Although I'm not sure how much we're going to have to say about that because I don't think either of us used it or would have found it particularly useful. I used it useful. for like five seconds. Or, oh, they would have been a joke that I used it for six oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, I missed opportunity. <laughs> Do you want me to edit it so you, it seems perfectly in sync? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also wanted to talk about how people have this idea that the internet is this kind of permanent canvas for their self-expression. Yeah. Instead of writing in a diary or, you know, keeping track of their lives some other way, they put everything online in these different social media sites and these different blogging sites. And I think there's this implicit idea that it's now there forever. You've kind of etched your life story, or at least a mm. portion of it day by day, into this everlasting stone tablet of the internet. <laughs> but the reality is that these sites no matter how big they are, no matter how popular they are in their moment of greatest social relevancy, they do go away in time. Like, Vine is now dead. Everyone who had a yeah. video on there, that's gone. <clears throat> All these people who embraced it and used it to its full potential and used it to express themselves, that's now all, you know, the slate has been wiped clean. So I wanted to talk about the nature of social media and the way that it's not really as permanent as we think. Even the monoliths like Twitter and Facebook mm. and Instagram, who knows what's going to happen. Right now, they seem like these permanent institutions that couldn't possibly be overtaken or made obsolete or replaced. But it only seems like that to us now because they are yeah. at their zenith of popularity. But who knows what's going to happen in the future? And if they do go down, how are you going to feel? It's weird because I don't know if it's just because it's Vine and I didn't use it. I did use it like one time. It was, remember when we took Rudy out for his first snow in the garden? Rudy's first snow. Yeah. And wasn't he like six at this point? Yeah, he was like, I don't know what that has to do with No, I'm just saying like, how dare you deny him snow for the first six years of his life? He was sitting at the window watching this strange white downpour. And he was like, Mama, <laughs> what is this? That was a case of me being unable to decipher anything. You were just like, wasn't he six at the time? And I was like, I don't understand what that has to do with anything. But yeah, his um, first snow. I guess this was around when Vine was like, you know, everyone was like, have you got Vine? Have you seen my Vine? Like, it was new. Have I you guess. seen my Vine? <laughs> Someone stopped you on the street and they were like, yo, can I just get seven seconds? Yeah, <laughs> six seconds. Oh. 
seven seconds feels like a better fit. Like I feel like that's six like seconds song, feels seven seconds. Isn't seven is a better number than six. I feel for that type of thing. Yeah. Well, I think I made like a Rudy Vine and then I didn't use it again. Um, so it might just be that I see it differently because I didn't really have Vine, but I feel like Facebook's been around a long time now. And Twitter's kind of getting on in terms of the life of social media. And I really don't see either of them dying down. I mean, I'm sure people have definitely said that about MySpace. But I feel like because Twitter and Facebook more and more is more like it's not based upon your profile. Like MySpace, you kind of had to keep up with. You had a profile. You had to kind of do things in order to interact like twitter like some people only use it for like news and things like that it's very kind of it has a lot of different yeah it's pushed past just the that kind of surface level social media connecting with people type thing it does a lot of different things um I really can't see either of those going anywhere. And I know we've talked about this before, but I don't see Instagram going anywhere either. And I know you've said before that you think that Instagram might die down. But, like, I feel like Instagram is still in its its only getting bigger phase, especially with them introducing new things. Like, they obviously always had the video, but it was really limited. It was, like, 15 seconds. But now you can do a minute and you can... They also have the stories now, like Snapchat. So I feel like as long as they continue to grow that way, I don't think they'll die either because what's going to keep something like Instagram alive is that it is also for things like photographers and businesses. It's not just a social media type place. But like you said, there have been examples in the past. Like you said, no one really thought MySpace was ever going to go down in flames until... The writing was already on the wall and then everyone felt like, oh, yeah, of course MySpace died. Like, you know, it was so stupid and lame. But that's only looking back when people had the benefit of hindsight to kind of play Monday morning quarterback. I can't remember what it was called, but I feel like I found something like MySpace before MySpace. It was called like the Diddle or something like that. I got the feeling that it was primarily just American and... um. I set up a profile. This was like way back in like the AOL days. Oh man. And I wonder if maybe that was, that could have even been MySpace's infancy. Who knows? But anyway, the pickle? No. The, the, the diddle? None of these sound like good I don't names know. It was for really a social weird. media. And, then I never, and I never heard of it in like a social context. Like no one ever said, What's your diddle page? <laughs> Such a Yo, weird. dog, let me get those diddle digits. <laughs> What's your profile ID yeah. on diddle? It's going to really bug me now. I'm going to Google I've that never again. heard of anything that sounds like well, what you're talking about. you were like about. six years old right, at the time. I've so. heard of things that were around before I was yeah, but of still. the age of reason. But yeah, and then there was also... Let's think of social media that kind of tried to happen. The only one I can think of is Bebo. That was kind of like the same type of thing as MySpace, right? The same I era? I think so. No, it wasn't the same era. No. No, it came, I don't know if it came around while MySpace was still alive. Well, MySpace is technically still alive now, isn't it? But it isn't like a profile site anymore, right? I think it's mostly is it music. Just music. I have no idea. Oh, okay, that's well, what I've Bebo heard. came, MySpace might still have been alive, but no, it came kind of around just before Twitter. 
I guess. Because uh, it was definitely around in like 2009 or 2010. I think that's probably as old as Twitter, right? Twitter's not very old. I think it's I been around it when it was quite new for a while before it kind of actually became started becoming popular. Well, I never had a Bebo, or I—I I mean, there's maybe a slight chance I set one up and never used it, but I never like used it, so I don't really remember. Do you remember it? No, I always got the impression it was kind of like for teenagers and kids that it, type of thing it definitely obviously had a proper phase as well because i remember like you know sometimes you watch things like news or whatever and at the bottom it has like their twitter handle and stuff for a very short while they would also add their bebo oh, man. and i remember movies <laughs> check us out on bebo and i remember movies and i only know this because of the twilight franchise one of the movies i think maybe the second or third one like, when you put the DVD in, it's got the Twilight Bebo. It tells you to go to the Bebo of Twilight. Yeah. And I've never, like, I don't. So, obviously, it was really trying to be a thing. But You've never... never checked out the sick Twilight Bebo page? <laughs> is that what you're saying? With its fancy four-frame GIFs and its yeah. glitter emojis? Yeah. Oh I don't know where I'm going with this. The glitter of MySpace. Oh, yeah. Oh, the... Fucking! I feel like that was the advent of people going nuts with <laughs> like profile customization, like I love how yellow th- background and bright red yeah. block print. MySpace you just kind of read made it. a coder of everyone. If I'm even everyone learnt the very basics of <laughs> yeah. HTML so they could figure out how to have their sick profile page. And customized. then it was always those people who thought they were so cool when they would kind of almost make their profile disappear. I'm not with familiar with this. Yeah, or they'd make it really, really small. You know, this, this doesn't ring any MySpace it was bells. Obnoxious, yeah. I didn't really use MySpace. I mean, I had I a MySpace profile because that was the thing, but I never really got into it, and I never really paid too much yeah. attention to social media when I was a teenager. MySpace was right at my college age. Did so that make it like? I don't know. More I mean, attractive to you? Do you feel like that's the well, most... Well, yeah, because I had actual real people to talk to on there instead of just people you meet online. Because it was like at college or whatever, it would be like you'd add your college friends as well. And then, of course, at college, in class, everyone would just be on their MySpace profiles instead of doing work. There needs to be like a a website, kind of like archive.org. Like a social media graveyard. When these yeah. social media sites go down, they like take like a archive of every page on the site and just put it online as like a virtual tombstone of it where you can still browse what was on it. There because otherwise of, it just gets completely wiped. There are kind of versions of that. I remember when I changed my Twitter username, you could back up your Twitterness, your Twitter. But that's just on a personal Twitters. level. I mean, like. For someone what do you mean, then? to host a version of the site, like back... I mean, I guess this is probably infeasible because you're talking about at least hundreds of terabytes of data. But, like, how difficult would it be to back up every video from Vine if someone felt probably so really charitable? Difficult. But they're, like, six seconds long, another, right? Yeah, but there were, like, Vine stars. So at one point it seemed as popular as, like... Not as popular as YouTube, but it was on a level. Yeah, it definitely had its Because they were like Vine day. stars who are now like movie stars or whatever. Like They're now like heroin addicts. And... 
Let's go. Took it to a dark place. Um, so yeah, there's probably, and because it is only six seconds, there's probably a fucking lot of them. Yeah, but yeah, I guess maybe it's pie in the sky, but I, something, something to me just, it doesn't sit right with me, the idea that it's now just gone. Well, I was going to say that. Is it just gone? I mean, if you know of, like, they're cl- shutting it down, right? But if you go to, like, a Vine address, I know it's an app, but usually you can also view these things on web browsers as well. If I type in, like, vine.com forward slash username or whatever, is that per- is it just going to say not displayed? No. Because I think you can still see people's MySpace profiles unless they took them down. I don't think you can make one, but I'm pretty sure you can still view them. I just don't think that these sites will... Because... Even if you're not allowing people to make new content, and so technically the service is dead, yeah. they're not going to keep paying for an insane amount of server space to keep all this stuff on the web. Yeah. When these sites go down, they're, they're dead. Like, they're basically wiped off the internet unless they've been archived by some external service. I'm pretty sure there's going to be, like, apps popping up as ways to, like, save your vines. Yeah, of course. But then you would have to republish them somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know, that is kind of weird to think. That's that's what kind of scares me about committing to the internet to a certain extent. Because if you put your self-expression out there, if you put your writing out there, your photography mm. out there, your filmmaking out there, unless you, you know, stack the deck in your favor by putting it on as many services as possible, at some point those services are going to go down if we assume that no service is going to live forever. As big as Facebook seems right now, who knows what's going to be the case mm. in 20 years. Eventually, they're going to go down and that is going to be gone. And that maybe yeah. you still have a backup on your computer, but the way that you had shared it with the world, that instance of you pulling it out there is going to be eradicated and it's going to be like, what was the point? I thought I was adding this to the internet forever yeah. and instead it was just this temporary beacon in the dark. It's weird because I guess in that, like, I see each different platform as something really different. Like, Vine is much like YouTube in that, why would you make your Vine not public? That type of thing is because you want to create things for people to see. Whereas, like, a lot of people's Facebook profiles are private and it's just them posting certain things for certain viewers. Whereas I see Vine in the same kind of light as YouTube where you post things in hopes of everyone seeing it. Whereas, like, Facebook's not like that. And so maybe the different nature of them is what makes them last or not last. Yeah, possibly. I just think that they all have a shelf life and people aren't realistic about that. And so they, like I was talking about, you can kind of hedge your bets and put your stuff on as many different places as possible. But I think unless you're, like, you know, a quote-unquote serious like professional content producer if you're just a regular person putting out your photos and your little blog posts here and there you do just stick with one site with your tumblr with your wordpress with your facebook page with your twitter page and eventually that rug is going to be pulled out from underneath you and it's all going to be gone unless you back it up yeah and i feel like a lot of people aren't go- how many people really are going to back up their vines yeah i don't think probably i would say know. like we're talking like 80 90 percent of people mm. probably are just going to let those vines that they've created disappear because 
it doesn't matter now. Like what what reason do they have to take the trouble of downloading those variants, re-uploading them somewhere else? No one's going to care. No one's going to be like, oh, I can't wait to see your Vine from like four years ago, your seven-second clever little stop frame animation of your pencils on your table. Six seconds. Seven sounds better. <laughs> Let's relaunch Vine, add an extra second. People will flock in and be like, God, we've got so much more time to work with in these Vines. I didn't want to correct you. But this is a million-dollar like... idea. <laughs> Vine plus one. <laughs> There's so much you can do with that extra second. I feel, I definitely feel like it is probably mostly going to be like the, uh, you know, the ones that are putting out like high quality vines where it's like. I think that's kind of a oxymoron. No, sure. you know what I mean? Like the making, you know, like I said, there were like vine stars who did like really creative shit, like in six seconds. Like it was going to be those types of people that are going to like back it up. Yeah, of course. But that's like Maybe a tiny, move it tiny to YouTube fraction. Or whatever. Yeah, but they have a. They have a reason to do it because they have a viewer base that are interested in seeing their old yeah, content. Yeah, they will, like, follow them to, like, different... I thought we were in the era of, like, social media places, platforms weren't going down. We were just adding to them. Because if you list, like, all the different ones, like, you know, when you get... Like, for instance, when you get, like, a blog, there's an area where you can put in all your social medias. I was going to say, like, it, it always wants you... You're like your Etsy and your YouTube and your Pinterest. Oh, I forgot about places like Pinterest. Pinterest's not really so. Could you count that as social media? I don't know what the exact definition of it is, but for me. Oh, and Tumblr. Social media is a way to share things about yourself, whereas Pinterest is just kind of yeah. like. I guess it's a, in a very detached meta way, you're expressing yourself by picking images that you like but you're not actually actively creating a way to express yourself via text no, or images or video are. or whatever you've never used pinterest have this you? is very true i'm speaking from a place of absolute and i <laughs> must add pin- happy ignorance about pinterest all the pinners out there oh, God. i think that's what they're called are like excuse me i spend hours Making elaborate yes. lists of my favourite cupcake images yes, and that's cute kittens what wearing is. costumes and cityscapes Crazy. that I, I can't want to I travel about to. That. And I forgot about Tumblr, which is weird because I was like really fucking into Tumblr for a long time. And I think I'm definitely just in the space of if I'm not using it, I can't see it for how big it is because... Vine seemed like a non-thing to me, even though I know somewhere in the distance it was for a while. Like Looking I said, I forgot about. Distance. Like I said, I kind of forgot about Pinterest, even though I did use it for a while. And Tumblr, I kind of see. You know, when was it Yahoo? When they bought Tumblr? Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely saw a change when they bought Tumblr, and I think eventually Tumblr will just it will go. It will be gone. Because because of the changes they've made, or just because, because of the, it's reaching the end of its natural lifespan. I think probably mostly because of the changes they will make. Like the people who owned it before, it was really like do what you want. Now there are like rules that weren't there before. Yeah, and I feel like eventually there might just be too many rules for like it won't be the cool place anymore. 
you know? I use it as my <laughs> He's blog. He's talking to the cool place right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that where the cool I kids congregate? I use it as an actual blog. Yeah. Like, I don't re-blog people. Like, back, like, in the day, like, that, I love doing that. Like, finding, and back like, in the day, you mean, like, 2010, right? Yeah, like, cool pictures and, like, cool texts and putting Ancient them together. And, and making cool terms. blog posts. Reblogging stuff. Like, that was, that was, like, a weird way of communicating with people. I really enjoyed that, but I don't have that type of Tumblr blog anymore. I just have an actual blog yeah. where I don't like. And the the only reason why I chose Tumblr over like a WordPress or a Blogger or something is because there is that built in hashtag slash follower type thing. I know you can follow people on WordPress and you can use hashtags, but it's not used in the same way as Tumblr's used. So that's the only reason why I chose Tumblr. Otherwise, I would have wouldn't have um but yeah i totally forgot about those i can see those dying down for sure tumblr to me has always seemed more kind of casual and informal whereas wordpress and i know wordpress is just a platform you can do whatever you want with it but i feel like whenever i see a wordpress it's like a business promoting themselves it always has this like sterile professional yeah because feel. wordpress really is just when you want to make a website I know I kind of linked the two together, but that's just because I am using Tumblr as my blog. Yeah. But Tumblr is still the place where you go to like reblog loads of shit and like, you know, look at porn or whatever. Sure. Even though, even that's changed because they took a load of stuff out of the search. So you can't even like search for certain things anymore. How dare they? Yeah. So Internet sensors. I think even when you turn like safe search off within Tumblr, you still can't search certain terms. Oh, man. And so that's what I mean. Like, I really do feel like there was a massive portion of Tumblr that was just dedicated to, like, sex. And now Big Papa Yahoo has become the gatekeeper of the smut. Exactly. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously you can always back... Well, I feel like with Facebook you can't back stuff up. Like, if you wanted to back up your Facebook posts... Which is weird saying that because I feel like Facebook is such a different animal to, like, Twitter... Or Instagram, like where you would might want to keep your posts, whereas Facebook is just kind of like a throwaway status updates. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really use it like that. I do use it like you would use a Twitter, but yeah. So for the most part, you probably really wouldn't want to back it up, but you can back everything else up. But even if you wouldn't want to back it up, if Facebook goes dark tomorrow, you're still going to be kind of sad, right? That yeah. this kind of meta chronicle of the last however many years of your life even if it is just kind of trivial stuff of like a photo here or a little post here or you liking something here that it kind of hurts when that is in a way obliterated from the overall record books of the internet i do definitely even still see facebook as different you know why as well i think one of the reasons is is because you can't go back as easy as you can with Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram places like that. Like, it's really easy to, like, go back. But I feel like when you start going back to your posts on Facebook, eventually it just kind of stops. It doesn't show you past a certain point? Yeah, you can't go... Well, when I've sort of tried before, eventually it just kind of stops giving you results. Right. That might just be through the app. Surely they wouldn't delete... After a certain amount of time yeah. as a lot. Well, it definitely would, doesn't delete it. There'd be an outcry about that. Because there's that new, it's not new, it's probably been around for about a year now, but there's that 
on this day, every day, it says you have memories to look back on. And it says on this day last year, on this day, the year before, or the year before, the year before, and it goes back to however long you've been on Facebook. My current account is only like two years. So every day I just get the last two years, each day is... It's kind of interesting, actually, to like... Because a lot of times I've looked... And I'll be sick or I'll be feeling extra depressed or whatever. And I look back on this day and I was that depressed a year ago or I was that sick a year ago. And it's like, wow, this is super dark. That's so weird. I've been sick the whole time, obviously. (laughs) But like (laughs) to, to see that like the same thing has been happening or even just to see like, oh, wow, that was like two years. You really do forget or like, you know, it's a cool feature, honestly. Yeah. I think. The most likely thing that is going to kill these big social networks is as they try to monetize. Because, for example, Twitter is obviously this behemoth, but it's apparently losing money, even though it is trying in little ways here and there to find ways to financially benefit from its insanely massive user base. But... More and more, they're going to try and aggressively recoup the costs of running the service by extracting money from the users. And I think people are going to kind of chafe at that and they're going to rebel and they're going to go to competitor sites because they don't like being kind of nickel and dimed at every turn. Yeah, you'd think that. But before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram used ads... You'd think that with the inclusion of ads, you'd do that. But actually, they have included ads. Like, you do see every few posts, like, sponsored post or whatever. It's really not very annoying. I know you'd think it would be. Yeah, but, but ads are kind of an accepted irritation. Yeah. But I'm talking more like, and this is just a hypothetical, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Say, what's the current character limit? 140 characters, right? On Twitter, yeah. Say... You pay 50 cents and you can bump that up to 280 for five posts. People are going to do that because especially if you can just link your credit card or your bank account or whatever, and it just automatically takes the 50 cents each time. People are going to do that because it makes the service kind of easier to use. Yeah, I think they will. Because something similar you can do on um, Tumblr. You can promote your post and you pay. You can also do that on Facebook when it comes to like, if you've got like a Facebook page for like a business or a blog or something, you can promote um, your posts through that as well by paying money. So yeah, you're right. It's really not out of the realm of possibility that eventually it might be that you pay extra for more characters or, well, that's what it would be on Twitter. What would it be on like Instagram? Yeah, I'm not sure. You can... Super high-res image uploads, maybe? Although there is a character limit on Instagram posts. It's long. Right. But when I've tried to, like... um, Like, if I do a blog post and it's not mega long, like, you'd think it's only a few paragraphs. and not, So I thought, oh, I might as well just add the whole blog post to the Instagram picture. But then it says that the post is too long. So I don't know how many words that would be, but it's about three inches long. Right. And then you can't type anymore. So there is actually a character limit on Instagram. Yeah. And I, I know Instagram is not known for its text posts, but people do like but people to do write tend a lot of to text. Yeah. Pen 
essay length <laughs> posts. When they're on rants or something. Yeah. I just think people are going to be willing to a certain extent to pay these little fees to have a certain mm, like extra amount people. of usability. But it's going to mount and mount because once these services figure out they can get a little bit of money, they're going to keep going and keep going so that they can become profitable, so that they can yeah. reap these large amounts of money from their user bases. And that is what is going to turn people away because it's not going to feel like a fun, casual experience anymore. It's going to feel like, how do I evade all these different constraints based on trying to get me to pony up a little bit of money there, a little bit of money here. And eventually those micropayments are going to get in the way of you using the service in the way that you want to. What was like the last new social media platform? Was it Vine? That's like, that became big. Because there's obviously tons. Yeah, it became big. Little ones that come every day. I feel like maybe it is, unless there's one out there that's big. Um, even if it's not massive, but that I don't use. What's like the one that the kids use? Those are always like the hot new ones. Like, oh, God, have you heard about, know. you know, blank? Kids All the kids Tumblr. are using it. They also use, I guess now with things like WhatsApp, they don't even need a social media platform. Because on WhatsApp, you can have like group chats and like all you need is a person's phone number. And so I feel like it's oftentimes it's probably just taken to like a Facebook group, a WhatsApp chat group, or like tumblr or something you know yeah um because fa- even though they use facebook too facebook's not really like cool is it it's like facebook is like where you add your nan <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's not really for the cool kids yeah um but yeah i think maybe vine was like the last big one that kind of got big so i can't imagine now all of a sudden there being like a new social media to add to like unless it does something different like vine did something different it was just videos and it was only six seconds so that's i can imagine probably why it got big but like we already have facebook is multimedia twitter is also multimedia instagram is photos and videos plus text what else do you need? They all kind of do the same thing now, yeah. which is interesting because... Because, like, Facebook Live. Oh, there's Snapchat. I won't forget about Snapchat. Is that Does that count as a social network? Yeah. Yeah, of course it does. It's basically like Vine, but the videos disappear. Yeah. Um, But it also... I think a lot of people, like me, I only really use Snapchat to message, like to message people like i don't post snaps for the world to see especially because on instagram for instance there's like a browse page where you can browse the whole of instagram it just gives you photos and videos based on other things you've liked and who your friends are Um, and then of course you have the search where you can search people places and tags on Snapchat, you can't do that. There's no browse page. There's no searching tags. You can only add someone if you know their username. So, for instance, I'm only friends with people I know because they've given me the username or famous people. So, like, I've there's a few famous people that I've wanted to follow. So, I'm friends with them now so I can see their snaps. And they post their snaps as stories. 
I've never posted a snap as a story for people to see. I've only ever, like, messaged with a few of my friends on there back and forth. So no one gets to see that but that particular friend. So it's this weird kind of social media platform, I feel, because it's not really to garner an audience. Not yet, at least. I'm sure that will change over time. It's interesting how some of these social media apps like Snapchat can start with a certain reputation and then due to their popularity kind of outgrow it because when Snapchat first came around it kind of had that reputation as being for sexting it was kind of like a seedy tawdry yeah like way of sending nude pics like that was I feel what was kind of attached to it I feel like it was that and it was also for the kids. Like, when I first heard about it, it was because young kids were using it. Like, it's like... I don't like the intersection of these yeah, two Yeah, I things. don't like it either. Like, it's either something that you can get... You can get away with sexting because they disappear. Obviously, you can screenshot it, but, like... But it tells you that they Yeah. <clears throat> I guess it doesn't matter, though. But you can't, like, actually directly save it, and you can't, like... You know, your partner can't find your phone and then look up your previous snaps. Like, they disappear. And so that's, I guess, why it became, like, fun with, like, for, like, people who want to do that. But also, I feel like Snapchat is what the kids use. Like, if you ask them what they're on, they talk about Snapchat. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the thing. Also with Snapchat, I feel like it's not that easy to use. Like, even the messaging, until you really get the hang of it, it's not that easy. Maybe I'm just old. Yeah, you're not in the vaunted yeah. 18 to 24 demographic that they're all coveting. Also, I definitely feel like the most fun part of Snapchat is the filters. Right. If they didn't have the filters, I feel like it probably wouldn't be as big as it is. But maybe I don't know. But they do, and you only need really um, one distinguishing feature to have people flock to you. I feel like, though, it's only a matter of time, unless Snapchat have got some kind of propriety over that type of filter, it's only a matter of time before Instagram introduced that into their stories. Because they even call them stories, and that's what Snapchat calls them. So, like, yeah. I'm sure Snapchat didn't come up with the idea of saying... No, you know what I mean, but... A sequence of photos is a story. It's almost as if, if you, like... Instagram bought Snapchat and integrated Snapchat into their thing, but without the filters. And that's the best part of Snapchat. Yeah, so my whole point was really just I can't see something new popping up and being like, let's add that on. And I realised that I think Snapchat is the newest thing. Vine wasn't the newest thing. Um, Even though I'm new to Snapchat, I still feel like I can't imagine something new popping up because what are they going to bring to the table that's not already there but that's always the case you can never imagine what the new thing is going to be otherwise you would do it yourself (laughs) yeah it's kind of amazing that new social media platforms do still pop up because it's Uh, like you do have these huge monolithic ones already in the space that are so well peopled that have such a large feature set already it's like it takes a certain amount of hubris to think we can add another one. Yeah. We can be another Vine. We can be another Snapchat. We can try and suction some of the existing Facebook users onto our platform. Like Google Plus. Like I feel like if Google, which obviously is like the internet sweetheart, mm. if they couldn't have made 
yeah. a successful alternative to Facebook, then I almost feel like who can? Until Facebook dies, like of natural causes, quote unquote, <laughs> until it outlives its usefulness and people are kind of craving a new version of it that basically does the same thing but is just new and shiny. I just don't see them being replaced by a competitor. Yeah, because they really went hard for a while on that Google Plus thing. But no one ever says, what's your Google Plus? Yeah. Do they, like, no one ever adds me to Google Plus. It's not. Occasionally, I'll, like, sometimes when you want to comment on, like, someone's blog, if it's, like, a WordPress or a blogger or something, you have to sign into something to be able to um, comment. And it's never like signing with your Twitter or signing with your Facebook or just your email address. It's signing with all these things that I've never heard of, like AIM. I don't even know what that is. And um, AIM? Yeah. That's like an old school instant messaging thing. Yeah. Like, it's always like signing with these things. Super that are, strange. And then the only other one that's left is signing with Google+. Plus. Yeah. And because it's easy to just next step that with your Gmail account, I've done that. But like, so now I have like a Google Plus for all my Gmails, but I haven't done anything with them because I don't use it. That's kind of how Google tried to backdoor its way into having a huge user base from the get go. Like, wasn't it that if you have a Gmail, which I think everyone does at this point, you automatically have a Google Plus profile? Well, no, when it first started, you had to be have an invite. You had to get an invite. Right, but now, isn't it the case yeah, that yeah, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so realised they, they weren't hot shit. Yeah, and, and no so they tried to invite. just kind of make it as easy yeah. as possible. That is, I think, the only path towards making a Facebook competitor is just finding a way to make people have a profile on your site. Like, say if Apple were like everyone that has an iPhone, we've added this new app. I like friends, I people, yeah. or whatever, and you've all already got a profile on there. Ah. I feel like that could work because people then would just kind of slide into using it yeah. without any friction, and that allows it to kind of grow at a monumental pace. That's kind of cool. Did I? I feel like something just came to my mind then, but I'm, I don't know if I made it up. I. I feel like possibly with the new iOS 10, you can have group messages in iMessage. Right, that's not really a social network. No, but it's taking it the next step. It blurs the lines a little bit because people often now, like the kids maybe or whatever, they're not using their social media to communicate with each other. They're just entering group chats. Like, it's blurring the lines slightly. Anyway, it just made me think of that, but I might have made it up about the iMessage thing. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> it might be. It sounds like... <laughs> I feel like group messages have been a thing for eons. Oh, yeah, group messages are a thing. Are you having a stroke? Oh, my God, group messages a brain are aneurysm? a thing. <laughs> oh, man. Am I just really old and don't know how to use You're things? like, have you heard about this new thing, text messaging? <laughs> you can actually send alphanumeric characters to your friends and Any- they get them instantly <laughs> and they can read what you've said to them anyone who was listening to that was like you're an idiot they've been able to group message for a long time yeah but you're cute so it's okay uh-huh. um going back to that when we mentioned about how you need an invite for google plus remember facebook started off you had to have an uh 
You had to be at uni- like a college. Like at a US yeah, college. Yeah, you had yeah. to have like a dot edu. <laughs> Is that how it's pronounced? Edu. A dot edu? <laughs> like it's French? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that, I feel like they all kind of start off yeah. in a, you know, like a closed beta or whatever. And then they kind of... <laughs> That almost kind of gives it an aura of like, oh god, did you know that you could, there's this new thing and you have to know someone that knows yeah. someone to get into it, and everyone's trying to like source invite emails from people. Isn't it weird? Funny how like some things like seem really silly or pointless or like hard at, at certain stages. Like I remember first learning about Twitter. A real life friend told me about it. And I was sitting next to her and she was like, Twitter, Twitter, this or whatever. And I was like, but what is it? And she was like, you know, you just kind of post like, because it was 140 characters. She was making out like you just post like one line of like whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but you post it where? And I was like, who sees it? I don't no. understand. Like, <laughs> I remember really not understanding. Wasn't then, it originally that you text your Twitter updates? Wasn't that a thing? It wasn't that that's what you had to do. You can do Yeah, that. but I think that, that was like the kind of predominant way of updating your Twitter, I feel. Um, yeah, because actually, yeah, if you were using mobile, yeah, because that was back when mobile on like, we were only at like the iPhone 3GS and maybe iPhone 4 at that point. And so going on the internet on your phone was really shit. I remember, and so instead of trying to go on Twitter on, like, your really shitty web browser, it was easy to just text in a yeah. tweet. And that makes me think, Steph, shout out to my bestie, she she was, rece- you know how you could turn on notifications for people? She has my notifications turned on, so if I tweet, she gets a notification, but she was getting it as a text message, like old school. I was like, you know, you can just get that as a tweet, yeah, and it won't, like, take... Because it charges you for that. Oh, man. Yeah, so, yeah, that just made me think of that. That's kind of interesting, the way that it's it took advantage of this old technology texting yeah. to let you use this kind of cutting-edge technology of microblogging on a social media platform. Do you know on Tumblr you can call in a post? And it, like, like has telephone? voice recognition software? It must do, yeah. I've never done it. But I know when you go into your settings... <clears throat> There's a part that says, like, want to be old school, like, call in a post or whatever. I feel like that's not old school. That's, like, like bleeding edge tech. If it's, like, good voice recognition software, (laughs) that's, like, how many times have we called up somewhere and it's, like, Uh, tell me your phone number. They never understand And then you're, like, oh, seven, six. (laughs) And it's, like, did you mean four, two, six, two, four, six, No, four, I feel like four. it never does that to you. Whenever we've ever called anywhere and you've done it, you, like, enunciate things very clearly. I think I'm enunciating it clearly, but I'm clearly not because they never understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, even when I talk to Siri, she never knows what I'm saying. Didn't we call up somewhere recently where you tried to say a postcode it didn't get it and then it was just like transferring you to a call center advisor well before like you just gave up it was like screw this your voice is you know when it it asks you and you do it and it says no that's not right do it again and i did it no that's not right do it again and then i went uh down the phone because i was really annoyed (laughs) 
And that's when she said, transferring you. That activated a, the, yeah. the loophole that lets you get through to a real human being. Yeah. It does seem like that is eventually going to become the norm. Like everywhere you phone up, any kind of customer service thing, it's going to be like that ro- that creepy robotic voice of like, tell me your grievance. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this the other day, you know why? Because I saw an advert. I remember like, you know, back when automated started to become a popular thing, it was like now with automated, like quick and easy automated systems or whatever. Now the thing is, I don't want to talk to a fucking computer. I just want to fucking get my shit done with someone that understands This is me. a very sweary, now, hypothetical person. <laughs> now I notice adverts saying, <clears throat> now with capabilities of talking to like a real live person, yeah. like... That's become like a selling point, like we have real... Yeah, like we have real operators. Yeah. Because there's obviously a portion of people, maybe it's... I was going to say probably old people, but... It is old be. people, and they're yeah, like a huge... They want to talk to like an actual real person. Yeah. But that's kind of come back in now, because everything's becoming computerized. And, oh, do you know what I hate? When you have to go through like an option menu that takes you to another option menu, yeah. that takes you to another option menu. This is an endless And you realise after you've gone through 77 web. option menus... That the option that you want isn't there. Yeah. So you have to either go for it again or you have to just wait till eventually they run out giving you options and they say, please wait. And then they transfer you to someone. You see, I think people like the idea of talking to a real human customer service person because they feel like it's like a real conversation. You can kind of wheedle your way into whatever solution you want by just kind of talking to them enough and eventually kind of persuading them to help you out with whatever it is. But I think, and obviously it's nice to have human contact. I said that like I'm an alien. <laughs> and yes, and earthlings enjoy talking to other earthlings. But I think when you think about it, if you work in one of these places, you are almost kind of computerized yourself yeah. because you're just given a script and it's like, if yep. customer asks about warranty, say A, B, or C. If customer asks about return policy, blah, blah, blah. So it's almost like you are just talking to a computer, but it it's a human being yeah. just carrying out like a computerized response of if A, then B. I feel like people, where, especially when they have like a grievance, they want to be heard. They want to like have their grievance, like be acknowledged. They want to kind of shout at someone. Also, I feel like with automated systems, I feel like they can't, they can only give you so so much. Like if you've got an actual problem with something, something's broken, it's never like press number two and your problem will be fixed. It's press number two and then go to the website. Like it's not a proper answer. I know that I only like automated systems when it's like, I know I've got to pay a bill and my way of paying a bill is calling and not going online for whatever reason. And so they just say, automated thing, you type in your card number, it's done. But I like to talk to someone when I have a real specific problem or I have a really specific question and they don't have live chat on their website and I just want my answer right now and then I call. I know those are the reasons why I want to speak to like a regular person. Well, I feel like a lot of the reason, and obviously they can't say this explicitly, but I think this is kind of obvious at this point, I feel like they do have those kind of branching trees of phone menus where it's like press two to go to this menu, press six to go to that menu to kind of make 
a barrier of inconvenience where if you don't really care about whatever grievance yeah. it is you're trying to resolve, then you will just put the phone down in irritation and be like, oh, screw this. I'm not spending the next 20 minutes going through this phone menu. Yeah. And so that kind of weeds out the majority of people who call up and you don't have to deal with them then because you've kind of made it too hard for them to want to proceed. I kind of agree with you, actually, because there are definitely some companies as well where you call them and no matter what option you press, you're not getting the option you want and they just will not, they just refuse to say, okay, transferring you. It's like you've got to press some magical like combination of numbers in order to actually get to speak to someone and so i think you're right unless your problem is like really like oh my god i need an answer i need it right now they'll just end up hanging up and like emailing or not bothering oh my god talking of emailing how much do we prefer live chat like online i love it when a website live chat chat. you're like a fucking wizard at live chat i feel like whenever you're like i'm gonna get on the live chat because this is problem you end up getting something free yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I'd refund. like to think that was true, but nine times out of ten. Well, I, I just feel like on live chat, it's easier to articulate <clears throat> exactly what you want and exactly what has gone wrong, and so it's like they almost kind of can't, yeah. like pretend like they don't know exactly what you're trying to get at. It's like I've typed it out in two sentences, plain as day. Like, and I just feel like it's easier to be polite over live chat. Yeah. And that is kind of a difference between you and I when we do have to talk to these people. What are you saying? I huh? take pains to be saying? like extremely polite and civil. And you do, you have like a certain threshold where you can kind of do that for like a minute or two. But if they are kind of stonewalling you or they're not giving you whatever you want for whatever reason, hey. you kind of turn <laughs> and then you start talking in a very stern, I am very, domineering voice. I am very polite and civil. And I, I even tell you to have a good day at the end of And I tap door. your shoulder and I'm like, baby, come on, let's just, and I'm just like, let's no. try and keep it I civil. I just give you the eyes, no. And you're like, I am, I am. As soon and then as you go back fu- on the phone and you're like, listen <laughs> to me. This is what I want from you. I don't want to hear any of this. I have a very simple request. Maybe you don't understand it, but it's a very... And I'm like, baby, come on, come on. Like, let's, so let's be right. polite with them. And you're like, I am being polite. I am being... No, it's not that I'm not being polite. I'm being perfectly civil, but I'm just being stern. They Once they start to fuck me around or pretend like they don't know what I'm talking about, I'm like, no, I know for a fact that this is a thing. Stop. Telling me it's not when I know that it is. Can I speak to someone who knows what I'm talking about? Well, they're just going to tell you the same thing. No. <laughs> please put me on the phone with someone else. Or whatever it is. Yeah. Or if I just know something's true. Well, you paid this, this and this last time. No, I didn't. I didn't fucking pay that. And it's never been more than this. And you're ripping me off. Stop fucking around. Give me the fucking chicken. Or whatever it I, is. I don't understand. What is this phone <laughs> call where it's bills and chickens at the same time? when something goes wrong in a place. Like sure, if you go out to eat or you're buying something and someone tries to fuck you around for whatever reason and you have to take your order back and you're like, this is not right. Some people, and you're like this, you would just rather just leave it. I it's just like often feel it's not worth wrong. the ha- No, but if no. I get an order wrong, then I'm taking someone to task. But if it's a small thing where I don't really care either way, they've just no. kind of got it wrong in a trivial sense, then I'd rather just be like, I don't want to have to spend five minutes Ugh, explaining this. I'm so to- different. I remember, like, 
if I order set something and it, I always have very specific, like, I need it this way, that way, I want this as well, and I want seven of those, or whatever. If I get it, I check it, and if it's not exactly the same, I will fucking tell you it's not what I ordered. I'm paying for it. Yeah. And they're doing their job wrong. They're also getting paid to do something, and they're doing it wrong. And so I will always say, if you go to someone in a polite way, excuse me, this is wrong. There's absolutely no reason for there to be like a ruckus. Unless a they're ruckus. Go- unless they're going to be a cunt about they it. They pull out a bat, you pull out a crowbar, <laughs> you pull on a, a helmet and it's time to go to war. <laughs> unless they're going to be like, you know, that's not fucking wrong, like fuck off or whatever. Like if they're just going to be normal about it and be like, oh, I'm sorry, it's wrong. Here you go. Yeah. You know, then it will be perfectly fine. It's only when they refuse to admit that it's wrong or give you some crap about you can't bring it back now, it's broken or whatever. Like, that makes me sound like I broke something. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the guy the other day, the taxi guy with the 50p. Oh, it yeah. Was the, it was the Do you want to principle. explain what that is? Okay, so we took a taxi. Um, Ryan went to go get his hair cut. But we didn't have any cash, so of course we said drop us at the cash machine, which is right by the salon. You stayed in. I the stayed taxi. in the car while he I went to the cash machine. Quickly nipped to the cash point, less than like forty-five less seconds. Than, yeah, he was less than sixty seconds for sure. And when I said drop us at the cash machine, we need to go to the cash machine so we can pay you. Not once did he say, "Okay, that will be." And I know sometimes when you have a taxi, if you make them wait, it's like I know for like. Um, before it used to be something like two pence a minute or like two pence every That's so many surprisingly reasonable no, 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 if it, that was it, the case it wasn't that I got it wrong it was like two pence every so many seconds right. like it would go up in twos not like tens or fifties or whatever yeah. all of a sudden because this they've now like almost like they've got like an app yeah. for their service now and they'd send you text messages like when I booked the taxi, they sent me a text message saying, your taxi's booked, it will be £3. So it's not on a meter anymore. That I think they do the meter if they have to wait or whatever, which is fine. But they didn't say that. So you come back from the cash machine, not even like a minute later. I gave him the money. It would have taken me a minute to get out of the car because yeah. I had all the bag and everything with me. And he's like trying to give me £1.50 change. And I'm like... It's £3. And he said, 50 pence for the cash machine. I'm like, what do you mean 50 pence for the cash machine? That's not a thing. Like, he, I said he wasn't even gone a minute. And he was like, company policy, if you want to go cash machine, it's 50 pence. I'm like, no. Oh, that's never happened to me before. He says, he just looked at the money and looked back at me. And I was like, no. I didn't know that. You didn't mention that when I got out of the car. Why didn't you tell me? I would have done something different. I know I was probably being overly, like, annoying about it. But it was a principle that he didn't say it will be 50 pence for the cash machine, like, beforehand. What you if felt we- ambushed afterwards. I felt I was really annoyed. I also felt like maybe it was a lie and he just wanted the 50p. Like, he, maybe he does things like that with his customers to get extra money. Like, it didn't seem legit. It's like when you go into a into a shop and they all of a sudden have a charge to use your card to pay. Sometimes it's 50p and sometimes it's a pound, depending on what you look like. It's like, no, you can't just charge me whenever you want to charge me. It's £3, give me my 50 pence. And in the end, he gave me the 50 pence. Because you'd put on knuckle dusters (laughs) and a 
American I wasn't mean in any way. Pads. I was just persistent. You'd wrapped barbed wire around your no, boots. No, I'm nice and gentle and fluffy. And you were <laughs> ready to take this guy to beat downtown. I really Population one. I really don't know how I would have backed down because I really wasn't backing down. And, like, and so I wouldn't have. <laughs> he, he backed down. I can't imagine walking away without the 50p, honestly. No. <laughs> it's just principle. And I feel like it's little things like that that help you then deal with the bigger things. Well, like if you just constantly let people off, then that's how you're going to be. You're just constantly going to let people off. Whereas if you, you know, that's why it's the principle. It's not the 50p. It's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you've got to take a hard line stance. Exactly. Throughout your life that you're not going to let people take advantage of you. And if it was a company policy, fair enough, but I don't believe you. Yeah, it yeah. didn't seem like it. And we take... 50p for a cash machine when the fare is only £3. Yeah. Seems like a strange percentage. And it's not like you had to rush off to another job. It was like mid-morning on a Thursday and yeah. it was completely dead in the centre. And so... It was ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so what's the next topic? Okay, so... The next article that I read that I wanted to talk about was on a website called aon.co, um, which is a website I stumbled upon recently. It has a lot of good long-form type articles, kind of highbrow, like a lot those. of academics writing 4,000-word deconstructions of Beyonce lyrics, that type of thing. <laughs> um, and it's called Bookish Fools. And it's basically a breakdown of how historically reading has always been a status symbol if you're a learned sophisticated cultured person part of that is that you have a lot of books you care a lot about books you're seen reading books and so the book has always been kind of integral in producing a reputation for being intelligent and for being highbrow and for being above the kind of hoi polloi and so yeah the article just kind of shows how in each historical period it's always been the case that if you want to enhance your social standing you do it with conspicuous acts of reading and i just wanted to talk to you about what you thought about that what you think about the idea of books being status symbols that people kind of keep about and make sure they're seen reading because it produces a kind of awe in the observer of kind of like, oh, this person must be, you know, a certain type of intellect because they're reading a weighty tome. And also I wanted to talk about kind of the idea that books are given a certain standing that other mediums of entertainment, like films and comics, video games, whatever, are just not. They're seen as kind of this upper echelon. Yeah, it's strange because in one sense I do think that, that that's always been the case. But I feel like it's really only that way for like adults, if that makes sense. Like when you're a kid in school, if someone's always reading, they're often seen as just like the geek or like the nerd. They're not necessarily seen as like, that high standard that you want to be at however they are seen as smarter do you know what i mean so there is that still but i don't think they're necessarily seen as like the high standard 
at least not until you get to a certain age and you kind of grow out of that. And of course, not everyone at school kind of thinks that way, but that is kind of like one way of, that it is seen for sure. Um, I know that I, I haven't always been a reader. I wasn't like a reader, a big reader as a kid. I obviously had to read certain books for school, but outside of that, I didn't really read very much. Like I can remember the first full book that I read of Mice and Men, and then I can remember my f- like my first kind of venturing into being an actual reader as an adult. But before then, I don't know whether it's because I just saw myself as like a more visual person. Like I love movies and I love TV. Like I'm a big like binger. Like Netflix was made for someone like me. But I was also never someone who was like, oh, books are boring, that's stupid. Like, I don't understand that sentiment. I think that might just be a defence kind of way of being like, that's why I don't read, because it's boring. Instead of like, I don't read very well, or I can't comprehend that kind of thing. I think books have always been the most trying, the most difficult way to be told a story. The way I kind of look at it is, there are two types of treadmills, right? There's the treadmill you get on and the bout starts going by an internal motor and you are taken along. You have to start running because you are made to run. And that's kind of like watching a film. The film just happens on the TV frame by frame and you just watch it passively. There's no way to not see the story because it's right there happening second by second. And then there's the type of treadmill, those old school ones, where you have to run to move the bout. And that's kind of like a book where you have to take your eyes along each line, absorbing the information, absorbing the concepts and the characters and putting them all together in your mind. And you are the one who has to construct the meaning and interpret things. And you have to make the story in your head on the basis of what's written on the page. And so I think that's always going to produce a more kind of intimate connection, a more immersive storytelling technique, because there is work involved and there's a part of you involved in constructing the story alongside the writer. And that sometimes you, I understand that there should be a spectrum of mediums for entertainment, because sometimes you don't want to do that. In a way, it is kind of intellectually strenuous. Sometimes you do just want to zone out on the couch and have it all done for you on a screen. It does take a certain amount of mental effort to read a book, especially a book that's like, you know, very dense, very kind of highbrow. Sure, <laughs> that's that's an example. But any kind of any kind of tome, any kind of classic where you know going into it that a lot is going to be expected from you. I mean, obviously you can read a book and not comprehend it. You can just drag your eyes along the words and get to the last page. But I think everyone accepts that you want to understand what's going on. And if you have to reread a sentence or a paragraph a few times to really feel like you have a solid grasp on what's being said, what's being related to you, the world that's being built and the story that's being told, you'll do that. And so books are a challenge and they do ask a lot from you. But in return, they offer a very 
special type of storytelling as a very special way to transfer information to your brain. You do definitely have to do some of the creating yourself when you read a book. There's that saying where it's like, no one reads the same book. I don't know who said it. But, um, Jonathan Bookman, <laughs> inventor of the book. That and, was his marketing slogan. <laughs> and there's also that whole, you know, some people are like, yeah, but I don't have much of imagination. And so reading will be very good. But I think what, what people who aren't readers don't realize is that the tools that you need in order to create that your part of the reading experience are given to you in a good good story like if you you know even usually if it's a bad story you're still able to imagine the world even if it's very minimal um and so i feel like sometimes you don't necessarily realize you already have those tools and are already given those tools by there already being a story you have to do a lot more work to read like I know when I first kind of started to like devour things I would get tired really easily from reading and I wouldn't necessarily sit for for long periods at a time to read I would have to have to take breaks you also can't do anything else when you're reading like you know you can have the tv on in the background still be watching something and you're doing like three other things at the same time and you can still kind of follow most things but you can't do that with a story i can't even eat while i read yeah. i know you can i know often you'll like have like a snack and you'll read it's difficult though because it does require your undivided attention yeah. most of the time you can kind of get by doing simplistic tasks at the same time but you pay a price in that you do end up having to reread sentences yeah. because you didn't take something in properly. Yeah, well, I can't even do that. I would never kind of like go to get a snack or anything while I was reading. It would, I, I need to give it like my full attention. Um, I don't know. Reading really does. I feel like for me as well, reading takes a lot out of me. Like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I get, I know you can get like anxiety and like, you know, you can, films and TV shows can, can evoke lots of different emotions, you know, you know, I'll cry it like an advert, but I feel like something different happens when it's in book form. I kind of get like this serious anxiety when I read, obviously if it kind of gives me anxiety, not every story gives me anxiety, but you know what I mean? I'm reading anxious about something that's happening it's almost like really heightened and like it's almost like a real life anxiety where I know I really might have a panic attack if I continue reading or whatever and the thing about letting the book do that is that you have to consciously keep going you have to consciously read every single word so it's almost like you're continuing to build and create this world and you know that by doing so you're going to give yourself that anxiety whereas like you said when you said the treadmill thing the film or the tv show is just happening it's just happening and you are going to get those feelings but it's not going to be the same unless you have read like a really good book and you really enjoyed it and it's like wow and it stayed with you for days 
then you know it's like a completely different set of like anxious, like crazy. You really do step in and out of worlds when you read. And you can do that with like a TV show if you binge it, like with this new level of like binging everything. If you sit there for a few days and just watch the episode back to back to back to back to back, it is very similar in terms of like sitting there all day and reading and stepping into this world. But you can't do that with a movie because it's like an hour and a half or two hours and then it's gone. And you lose so much detail compared to what a book can give you. Yeah, I like the idea of books tied into a period of time. At which you can't really get with other mediums, at least to a certain extent. I like the idea of looking back and being like, oh, I remember that month when I was reading, you know, whatever, this Hemingway novel, and it really affected me throughout the whole month. And when I look back, everything is tinged with the fact that every night I would, you know, before I went to bed, I'd read another chapter of For Whom the Bell Tolls. And it was like everything was painted in the light of my experience with that book. I like the fact that, and that in turn allows books to have a really deep, profound effect on you. I'm not saying that other mediums can't do that, they can, but there's something about reading like a 700 page book over the course of like a month or two, where even if you didn't necessarily like it or it didn't fulfill your expectations exactly as you had had them in your mind, even if it wasn't perfect, it has an effect on you in an indelible sense because of that time spent and the energy put into pushing your mind through the experience of reading those 700 pages. And that's something that I really enjoy, even though it does come at a big cost. And sometimes you get to the end of a book and it doesn't feel like it was worth it because you didn't love it or it wasn't exactly what you wanted. But then that still has an effect on you and you have to just accept that and understand that that will help you in the future because you've now absorbed that book into your knowledge, into your understanding of storytelling. You're using all of the tools that you have to try to allow yourself into that world. And when it's not going the way that you want it to go or the way you think it's going to go, you use tools that you didn't even know you had. You have like an imagine, like a depth of imagination that you didn't even realize where you can see and feel all these different things from all these types of characters that you couldn't even make up yourself. And it's quite insane. It really is quite insane when you get so invested in like, a world because it's not just a favorite character or you know a favorite scene in a movie it's an actual whole world that can span time and it's just I wish I had of been a bigger reader growing up because I feel like it would have affected me in a different way I feel like I would maybe be different yeah what do you think of the idea of books as status symbols this idea of you want to be seen reading some important classic because it says something about your character i feel like that's definitely alive and well yeah like i because it's it's same 
the same in terms of like opposite like like if you're reading a book that's seen as not very good you're still reading yes so there's obviously still that level but it's like no I don't want to so when you're reading something that is kind of like seen as a classic or intellectual like if I was reading Atlas Shrugged I feel like I would want people to know I was reading Atlas Shrugged because it is seen as this like hard dense very intelligent piece of work and because I am someone who kind of like expresses herself through social media and blogging and does kind of put myself on display to some extent a part of that would be you know to kind of show off what I'm into what I'm reading what I obviously attribute to that as well like I think other people are like that as well I think that they there is a certain kind of intellect that comes with reading certain things like it's not kind of um you know cool to kind of show that you're reading like chiclet or whatever it's cool to show that you're reading a classic do you know what I mean does yeah. that make sense I just don't really have that for me reading is such a private experience like inherently like it's just me and the book, even if I am in like a coffee shop surrounded by people. The thing that I love about reading is you do get so absorbed and you do feel such a direct connection to the author because language is such an intimate thing to a certain extent. And it's like they're talking to you mm. as if they were sitting across the table from you and narrating a story. And so I don't like advertising when I'm reading. That's why I like having an e-reader. I mean, I do obviously still read physical books, but if I'm out, I have to say I generally prefer using the e-reader because it doesn't give any indication of what you're reading. Yeah. You could be reading the most highbrow, dense classic, or you could be reading the most lowbrow, pulpy action movie novelization. <laughs> it doesn't matter, you're just reading. And I think a lot of people don't look at it that way. They want people to see what they're reading. Yeah. Like you said, because it is an expression of who they are, even if it is kind of something that's seen as less valuable. I wonder if I sometimes do that, partly because I wasn't a big reader when I was growing up. So maybe it's almost like, overcompensating yeah like maybe it's like hey look like i do read or whatever or look what i don't know maybe it's also because i'm a writer and i feel like it's really drummed into you that to be a good writer you have to be a big reader and i don't first of all i don't necessarily know if i believe that but also maybe I don't know, maybe that comes into play somehow when I'm... Or maybe it really has nothing to do with the book at all. And maybe it is just a part of I do fucking Instagram everything. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Do you think we're ever going to get to the point where... Or are we already at that point where other mediums of entertainment are going to achieve the same kind of cultural cachet as books? Are movies mm. going to get to the point where having watched a certain movie is going to be like having read a certain lauded classic. There is a kind of um, level of that already. I guess, you know, 
in maybe like hipster circles or whatever, it's like, oh, I went to see that art house film. I guess there there is that kind of like level of that there, but not in the mainstream. It's never going to be, oh, I watched a really kind of intellectual movie. There are movies where it's like, I didn't really get it. Yeah. Oh, I watched that, but I didn't really get it. So there's that, but there's not really... I don't know if movies can ever be that. Um, It's interesting that you link it to the idea of difficulty, though. Films are seen as kind of culturally highbrow if they're difficult. If you watch it and you don't really understand what's going on the first time around, if it is kind of confusing, if it is kind of done in a unique way that can really show you Mm. something from a new perspective that takes time getting used to. And that is obviously the same way in books where you have things like James Joyce's Ulysses, which is even more insane, where it seems like people respect the work and also by extension, the people who have the kind of intellectual tenacity to read the whole thing through and come away feeling like they understood it because it is such a difficult read because it's not given to you easy just on a silver mm. platter. You really have to try and work to figure out what this guy is trying to say and the story he's trying to tell because it's done in such a non-direct, obfuscatory way. I think because that, even with movies, it shows a level of creativity, of imagination. You could even link it to like you know, they're this good because they went to school for it. They're this creative because they spent years on their craft, whether that was through school or whatever. But don't forget, there are there is also that, you know, that whole, it's not like highbrow and um, genius. It really is just a mess disguised as this crazy kind of like genius piece of art. Sometimes it really is just a mess and there's no making sense of it. And obviously, do you see that probably a lot more in movies? Um, Because the visual can do something that words can't, you know. Even when you're using, like, flowery prose to talk about something or to describe something, you still have to lead the reader somewhere in order for them to even kind of get what you're saying. Whereas images, they can just be flashes of things and you can, you know, it's very, it's much easier and quicker to get someone to to a certain place with a picture or a sound. I do wish that we could kind of get away from this idea of always chasing the status of books. Like in the video game world, there's always this idea of, when are the best video games going to be accepted in the realm of art on the same level as the best books, the books that are really given that kind of accolades and kudos that cements their status as like culturally important, culturally valuable. And I just feel like in order to gain that status, you're appealing to such a small group of tastemakers, like this very elite cadre of intelligentsia that have such a strange set of criteria strange in terms of how the average person would look at it with which to decide whether something is good in an artistic sense or not that 
why even bother trying to jump through those hoops? If you play a video game and it affects you and you feel like it told a story well and it created a world that was compelling and immersive and interesting, then you should come away and just feel like, I enjoyed that, that was a good piece of art. Instead of going online to try and search for some kind of validation of that opinion by the kind of literati who will weigh in on it and say, wow, you know, it's not Infinite Jest, it's not Ulysses, it's not whatever. It's very frustrating, and even as a non-gamer, to hear and see the way people do speak about video games, that they're just these, like, silly little things that boys do. And it's really frustrating because having seen some of the games that you've played, they are these massive worlds that tell even way more in-depth stories than TV shows or movies. And they're created with... There's a story, so there's writing involved, but there's also animation, so there's art involved. And I I don't understand why it isn't seen as um, more kind of like as art other than something else. To me, it is all art. Even a book that like mentioned like Chicklet or something or, you know, um, something pulpy and just like you know just paranormal romance away. for yeah. example to me it's still all art someone still sat down and wrote like 300 pages of whatever it's still they still weaved a part of a universe together with all these characters and all these you know nuances and i don't you know there are obviously levels like with, with like literary fiction and there are levels of it, and I wish it was kind of all more leveled out a little bit more because I feel bad for those writers or whatever. And obviously, when I publish, I want my work to be seen as, you know, literary. I don't want it to be seen as like some crap bargain bin chiclet that's like 99p or whatever i want it to be seen for what it is which is art you are creating a giant world for people to enter and it's no different and i just wish it was like i said more leveled out yeah i would like things to get to that even playing field it all comes down to stigma like you said chiclet for example books for women to read on the beach as they're kind of typically thought of they are kind of lumped into this category of, well, these are just kind of throwaway works of cheap storytelling that all follow the same formula and they all kind of try to achieve the same tawdry aims in terms of the emotional effect on the reader. But that isn't necessarily the case. Chiclet is really a genre created by publishers because they know that it allows people to look at something and say, I understand what this book is going to be like before I read it. And obviously, as a writer, you want to rebel against that. You don't want a reader to look at your book, see what type of format the cover is in, and feel like, oh, I know what I'm getting in this. I can say right now what beats the story is going to hit and the way that the narrative is going to unfold. I can even probably guess what the ending is going to be. You don't want that because you want to be able to surprise a reader. You want to be able to say, we're starting from a blank slate 
and I'm going to unfold for you a universe from scratch, and you're going to be taken every step of the way. And it's just like with video games, that stigma that's been attached is that it is a kind of juvenile pastime. Mm. People who haven't played a really high-quality narrative video game feel like it is just all, you know, killing simulators yeah. or arcade games or whatever. They come at it from a place of ignorance and they don't understand that we're at the point now where the stories being told in certain video games do legitimately rival those being told in novels, those being told in long-form TV shows, those being told in highbrow movies. But it's like anything else. You just have to wait for public opinion to kind of mature and evolve and realize that advancements have been made. And yeah, I just wish that we could kind of divorce our sense of satisfaction from what people who don't take part in what we're doing think about what we're doing. Like if someone who doesn't play video games thinks that video games are kind of a crappy way to spend your time it's just kind of a way to waste away hours doing the same repetitive stuff and it has no real meaning that's fine let them think that because you are playing video games and they are having a real effect on you and they are telling interesting stories and they are immersing you in interesting worlds and you are getting so much out of them and you know that they represent a medium of art that is to be respected wow I really like what you said then. I felt like it was almost like a perfect ending, but there's still more to say. Yeah. Um, it really is no different than like reading a book. I don't understand why someone would try to begrudge another person of playing a video game be- just because they're ignorant to it. Like they have this assumption, like you said, of this like shoot 'em up type thing and just like dulling their brain on it. But Depending on how you go into it, you are entering a new world, you are deciding which path to take, you are helping create what happens next, or how you see what happens next. Um, and it's fully, it can be fully immersive. Like, I really don't understand this ignorance to it. I really, I don't know where that has come from and why people have bought into it so strongly. It's really frustrating when you hear people say, and I, like I said, I'm not a gamer. It's really frustrating when you hear people just write it off as like crap because it's not at yeah. all. To go back to what you were saying, that is kind of why literature and video games are kind of my favorite mediums for storytelling. They're kind of neck and neck for me in that to return to the treadmill analogy. I feel like video games are in that second category because you do have to do something to progress the story, to go to places, to meet new characters. You physically have to take your character places and make choices. And so it requires something from you. It's an active experience rather than a passive experience. And that's why a long book and a long narrative video game have the same kind of effect on me in that they leave a very strong lasting impression and they can have a kind of profound emotional impact because you feel like you are doing something to help the story along. You are creating meaning, you are making choices and in a way that kind of folds you into the thing itself 
and you have a deeper connection to it as a result. So yeah, I think we're both agreed on that. Yeah. I guess to a certain extent, and I didn't really think about this until now, in a way, a book is the only one out of any of these in terms of, say, movies, video games, TV shows, that you can kind of conspicuously consume in public. Like you can't, if you're playing a video game in public, I mean, obviously there are handheld consoles, but like it doesn't have a cover. So people can't see what video game you're playing. If you're watching a film on your tablet, it doesn't have a cover. So people can't see. So in a way, it's almost like books are the only thing Mm. that can kind of function in that way, where it's like you're carrying a billboard that conveys what you're doing. But with a book, you're definitely looking at this one person who's got this book that's like, wow, that I heard about that, and it's, but she's smart or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could automatically think certain things about a person with a certain book, and it can maybe perhaps tell you what type of person they are, but you can't really do that with a movie. In a sense, I feel like this phenomenon of reading books in public to get a certain kind of social credential as like an intellectual is only going to strengthen because I think physical book sales are, they're definitely never going to die off because I think books offer certain advantages that reading the same thing on an e-reader simply doesn't. They're different things and they serve different purposes. But I do think physical book sales are going to kind of decrease and decrease as you kind of read a book on your phone, read a book on your iPad, read a book on your Kindle, whatever. And I feel like as the amount of people in public reading physical books gets less and less, the more kind of social benefit there is going to be for the people who do do it. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. It's going to be like a self-reinforcing cycle. There's such a satisfaction of finishing a story. There's even more of a satisfaction when you finish a physical book. Yeah. Because you can see it. You can hold it. You can feel that it's heavy, that it's got 300 or 600 pages, and you've been leafing through this for like three weeks or a month, and finally you've got to the end. Yeah. Whereas there's nothing physical really about an e-reader. You could have read a 1,000 pages and it looks the same. And so there's also that sense of achievement. And that links to seeing a person read a certain book in public. If it is this, like like we've said, if it's this, like, dense text of something, you know, people will see that you will make that achievement. That's something that you can say you've done. Well, here's an innovation that I just thought of, and I feel like this is not beyond the realm of possibility. So you have a a Kindle, an e-reader. You have the e-ink screen on the front that shows you the book. I feel like in future there could be an e-ink screen on the back which displays the book's cover and maybe like a progress bar showing how far you are through (laughs) it. And in a way that would kind of serve the same function in terms of showing people what you're reading. Um, And then I guess in a way people would kind of try to pull these sneaky moves where they read in Twilight, but they have the cover-up of, yes. like, some well-respected classic. Side note, I resent that you use Twilight. Yeah, well, it's kind of... How dare you? The punching bag for a reason. Well, 
I resent that also. I happen to adore Twilight. I feel like people aren't going to know whether you're being sarcastic or not. I do. I love it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, I definitely think as technology progresses, this will become a thing that you will get to double-sided e-readers. They're going to want to use the whole thing. They're going to want to do whatever they can to make it kind of new. And what are they going to be able... Eventually, they are going to be run out of things that they can do to make it. Like, they've already... Now it's got the backlight... You can change as many settings as you want. You can use it for the internet. Now we're going to have a double... Now we want to show you the cover or you can have your own wallpaper on there or whatever. And yeah, so obviously with that, if there is and you can show the cover, that will obviously... That will preserve the function of reading a physical book in order to impress strangers. Yeah, Yeah, that's maybe a testament to our vanity that... As technology <laughs> advances, we try and keep the kind of silly advantages of mm. old media. So, yeah. That well, was an interesting discussion. It was. It's definitely interesting as well to see how things will change as technology changes. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just jinxed you. We just do the rest of the podcast speaking saying the same at the thing exact at same the same time. time. Um, yeah, so so I, yeah, <laughs> I tried to time it, but it just did you're not work. So yeah. So, no. <laughs> I know you're going to say so you're gonna yeah. You're going to drive me mad and I'm going to get caught in a loop and I'm not going to know if this is real or not. I feel like if I can <laughs> unhorse you like mentally that easily, then there's a problem. No. If you could be made to question reality just because I say the same thing at the same time. You figured me out. That is a strange (laughs) self-destruct burn to be present in the human psyche. Okay, so what is the next thing that you would like to discuss? So I saw an article on New York magazine. Big yawn, come in. Oh, it's coming. (gasps) That was the cutest yawn of all time. If a unicorn could yawn... That is how yeah. they would do it. Aww, I want a unicorn. Can we get one? No. Why not? Let me be blunt. <laughs> okay, so everyone's probably seen it right now because it's like actually in the news right yeah. now. But it was about the uh, male contraceptives, about how they f- they figured it out now. Male contraceptives work. They you know did a test on. I think 360 men and it was 96% effective, which is basically what a lot of women's contraceptives yeah, are. Yeah, it's kind of equivalent. Um, but they have like halted it going forward so that they can do more research and tests because in 20 of the 360 men, there was mild side effects. And they were the same side effects that women have been yeah. experiencing for all time. Not all time. All but- time. <laughs> ye old cave women on the contraceptive the pill. Pill tabs. So, yeah, but... So, yeah, so, of course, cue all the, you know... Outraged think pieces. Yeah, about how women have been doing this forever and... It's just like men to fucking, it has to be, per- they can't cope with a little bit of depression and a little bit of weight gain. The world will fall apart. Um, 
And of course, this is what's populating the internet right now. Oh, you know, patriarchy, get the hammers. Sure, the hammers <laughs> in particular. I don't like the sound of this. I don't want to know what's being crushed <laughs> as womankind yeah. marches against the patriarchy. So, yeah, so I picked <laughs> this topic to talk about. Yeah, I think that's kind of a weird response, honestly, because I feel like the invention of male contraception is such an important social gain that people should just be showering this progress with optimism and with kind of gratitude because it's going to be such a big help in terms of overpopulation like if both men and women can be on contraception at all times like if we get to the point where the social standard just kind of implicitly is that everyone's all up once you reach a certain age obviously everyone is on contraception until you actively decide yeah. that you want to have children then you basically stop the problem of overpopulation dead in its tracks because you're not I mean, how much of overpopulation... Yeah, well, well, that's my point. How much of overpopulation is down to simply unexpected surprise pregnancies that are carried to term? If you can get rid of that and allow people to always be able to deliberately decide when they want to have children, that is a massive social gain for human civilization and it's going to have immense benefits. And then to respond in a way that's just kind of ridiculing men quote unquote for not being able to deal with these mild side effects i feel like you do want the male pill or the male injection or whatever it is to be as easy and as unburdensome as possible so that it does have a universal adoption so that it is a no-brainer for men to start using it i mean i understand the comparison being made but when you think about it female contraception its advent was what, like 50 years ago? There were different standards then for what were acceptable side effects. And now we have had female contraception for 50 years. And women have, unfortunately, had to just get used to the fact that this is what comes along with it. And I think to a certain extent, what it comes down to is the fact that the process in the female body that you're trying to alter or stop with contraception is much more significant much more important than the process you're trying to stop in the male body Um, and so i think to a certain extent and obviously i'm speaking from a place of ignorance i'm not an expert in reproductive systems i'm sure there's some biologist out there who could put this into much greater detail and with much greater accuracy but i just think that to a certain extent female contraception is always going to come with bigger side effects and at some point, we're going to have to just accept that that might be the case. I agree with you on some levels that I think that this reaction is a knee-jerk reaction because even the first thing that came to my mind was like I tutted and I was like, ugh, fucking men. Like, <laughs> of course they're going to want it even you? more efficient than than women's contraceptive. You know, they can't take a bit of this when we've been having it for the last 50 years. That is a, a normal, natural, organic, like, knee-jerk reaction to it. Like, yeah, on Being first a woman, blush, I can understand yeah, why you'd have that kind but, of superficial... Yeah, but actually I think you're right because 
it's already going to be hard enough to get some men. You know, there's kind of like typically manly men who think, you know. I like how you tried to do a deeper the, voice, <laughs> but you've got such a cute the, girl voice that it just did not work. are kind of, you know, still, you know, sexist and they do play into those male-female roles. And it's already going to be hard enough for those types of men to kind of take contraceptives in any form um, and to get them to do it properly and to realise why it's a good idea. So, yeah, you're right. We need to make it easier for them because it's going to be harder to get them to take it. Obviously, that's not all men, but you know what I mean. Hashtag not all men. Yeah. Hashtag meninist. <laughs> Hashtag men are the future. I don't know. Hashtag men are pussies. Easy does it. Um, so I get that, and I do think that kind of... Especially with today's technology, like if they were just starting, I like to think that if they were just trying to formulate the female contraceptive now, it would be similar. It yeah. would be no, let's not put it out while there's these side effects. Higher expectations. You're right in terms of like it's become the standard. And it's not like they're going to just pull all contraceptives and be like, okay, let's start again. Because women wouldn't want that. Even though we have to put up with those side effects. We wouldn't want that because it's disruptive in so many ways. It would just mess with your whole life. Like, um, So, yeah, I agree. I think they should try and perfect it as much as they can. Take a little bit more time. I mean, you know, we can wait. We can wait a little bit longer. We've been going 50 years yeah. with, like, with like these shit side effects. I also think you're right in terms of you are trying to change so much more in a woman's body. Men don't have periods. Women have periods. So it's not just a case of trying to stop something that wants to come out in terms of a man. Um, you're having to actually kind of really, you know, Change the hormonal really, makeup yeah, and change. the physical processes. Exactly. You're changing what happens every month instead yeah. of just sort of preventing something. Whenever a man Yeah, you're actually trying sex, yeah. to change how a person's body works when it comes to women. And so you're right. It might be that because you're trying to change something bigger, you have to pay a bigger price yeah. in terms of the side effects. Obviously, I'm hoping that eventually... It will also be the case that taking a contraceptive, you won't notice any difference except the fact that you don't get pregnant. Um, yeah, I am hoping, obviously, if they if they can find a way to do that with men, that they will they will try to reformulate some of these things with women. But I feel like if it could happen, and obviously you never know what's going to happen with the increases in knowledge of how the human body works and how certain compounds can affect it like certain things you just can't predict in terms of how better we're going to get with medical technologies but i feel like if a pharmaceutical company out there could have made the female pill or any kind of female contraception easier with less side effects they would have done so by now because there is such a big financial benefit at stake like if you could introduce a female contraception pill that had next to no negative side effects and all the positive effects i feel like you'd be laughing all the way to the bank basically but i feel like you underestimate people's desire to not have anything be disrupted 
like first of all you'd have to make sure everyone knows so it couldn't just be like a news article or whatever every single doctor's practice and every single chemist would have to know then they would have to actually change they would have to want to give up all the other ones and some things you have to do gradually you know and I know that sounds silly when you've got women saying we want it to be 100%, we want it to be no side effects, but I do think we underestimate that for sure. I mean, possibly, yeah. To a certain extent, you can't underestimate how much of an inconvenience people find even small changes in their lifestyle, in their routines. Um. So trying to sell them on a new form of contraception may be more difficult than I expect. And maybe that is, in a sense, a hurdle for a new form, a better form of female contraception mm. to emerge. Um, to get back to the response that you were talking about, where it was mostly just kind of mocking and, and making fun of the fact that men can't... It's interesting how people were kind of in this dismissive, condescending way, like, oh, yeah, it's so great that men can now take a contraceptive pill. Will women ever be able to trust that a man is on the pill when they have a sexual encounter? Is this going to just cause more trouble than it's worth? Is it maybe just better to have women be in charge of the contraceptive process because it's the baby that's going to be put inside them at the end of the day. And so they need to be the primary gatekeepers because you can't trust young men to be honest about when they're on contraception or not. And I just feel like that's just the typical naysayer mentality of making the perfect the enemy of the good, where if it can't be exactly as you want it to be, where there's no way for it to go wrong where there's no way for people to take advantage of it where there's no way for people to mess up and kind of erode the benefit of it then screw it why even do it like i just wish we could get away from that and say yes there are going to be imperfect applications of this new advancement in real life because real life is messy and people aren't always honest and you don't always remember to take something you're supposed to take and blah 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 but it's always better for the option to be there. And there will be a lot of men who want to take their reproductive capabilities into their own hands and have a very strict amount of control over that so they know that there's not going to be an accidental pregnancy. But yeah, because, I mean, there are also men who don't believe when a woman says she takes the pill either. Um, and so you always kind of... Unless you, you know, see the condom being put on, you know the condom isn't broken afterwards, etc., etc., or you take a pill yourself or you get have, like, the implant or the IUD. Like, you don't know for sure. And that's why a lot of people do everything. They take contraception and they use condoms. I don't think taking contraception is a reason to say I'm not going to use a condom because obviously we know it's not just about pregnancy. Um, but also that made me think of, you know, people saying about men 
whether they would remember to take the pill or bother to take the pill every day. First of all, I think it's a shot. I don't even know if they would have a pill version. But women are also like that. Like, I, you know, when you are in talks with people, like, they often say, like, oh, I wish that, you know, I could have the injection or the implant or something instead because I'm so bad at taking the pill every day. And I do feel like that's how pregnancies happen as well like people say i was on the pill but i got pregnant and i feel like most of the time it really is because you forgot to take a pill like it's so easy to forget or it's really also easy to take two a day thinking you haven't taken it or miss a day and then take two a day or whatever like it's really really easy to just forget and just you know you have to really get into a routine of it um but you, so you're never going to be a hundred percent sure whether anyone's taken anything, and that's why you should just be really careful when it comes to these things. It's really incredible to think that people can put themselves into a situation where they can have a child, a child that you have yeah. to raise for eighteen years until they become an adult, and that is going to completely derail your life. And cost you, obviously, an insane amount of money and an insane amount of emotional duress because they simply forgot to take a pill. Like, all they have to do is take a pill every morning. And they're so laissez-faire about it. They're so unconcerned about the possibility of an unwanted pregnancy that they can forget to take it and then get pregnant. I mean, that just shows you, like I was saying at the start of this topic, you have to make these things as easy and as straightforward and as unthinking as possible so that people will do it en masse, where it will just become this thing that everyone does as part of their immutable daily routine. Otherwise, people will just forget to do it. It's even more annoying when if someone is like, um, anti-choice pro-life and then they are even more like lax about stuff like this because they know then that if they do get pregnant and they don't want to get pregnant that they are going to have a baby which and then obviously you can say well they can they will give it up for adoption i'm not at least i'm not killing it but it's like you don't understand that it's unwanted regardless. It's like that child could end up in care for the rest of its life and who knows what type of life they will have. So it is really frustrating when people are really lax about these things because I feel like some people are just like, well, it's all right because I was going to have kids eventually anyway. And it's like, well, no, it's not all right because it. I'm not saying that you have to always plan these things but you definitely shouldn't be just okay with being surprised by it when maybe you don't even know the person that you're having sex with or you're not in a relationship or you don't have a job or whatever and um so many people smart people somehow don't think it's going to happen to them or they don't think it's going to happen because they only had sex once. It's like, it's not like a build-up. You haven't got to make five deposits and then you get a baby. It's like, no, this can happen. Like, just the tip and it can happen. Like, I don't understand people's strange disconnect 
from being so smart in one aspect of their life and then just so fucking dumb in another aspect. Well, it's just a typical example of out of sight, out of mind, where people just don't want to think about how horrendous and unwanted pregnancy can be in terms of either you have an abortion, which is just a horrific experience and it will have a profound effect on you for the rest of your life. It's something that no one should ever want to even put themselves at risk of having to do. Or you give up your child for adoption. And obviously all children in that position don't end up with a family of their own. Some of them go through this brutalizing care system where they grow up alone and ostracized and they don't have that parental support that helps mold a person into a fully functioning human being. And because they don't think about that possibility, because it doesn't seem real to them, and because they can just kind of put it out of mind when it's convenient to do so, they will put themselves in a situation where that type of thing can, there is a real chance of it happening. It's almost like the thing we mentioned on a previous podcast, where if you were going to go back and redesign the human body from the ground up, as if you were god forming man for the first time if you could do it all over again you'd want it to be the case where you'd have to take a pill to turn your fertility on yeah. like in general you wouldn't be able to have children and then you take a pill and you're fertile so it's like you have to make an active like choice yeah. to have a child instead of just being at risk of having a child whenever you have sex and you don't take the appropriate precautions but obviously that's not how it is because evolution wants us to reproduce and it doesn't care yeah. about the social cost. I feel like the world would be so different if you had to activate yourself to have a child. Yeah. yeah. I really wouldn't, like, I mean, I'm sure there's a statistic out there somewhere, but I don't really know how you can get a true statistic of this. I really wonder what the true statistic is of people legitimately 100% wanting their children. Yeah. Like we also mentioned in a previous podcast, people are, you know, just don't want to admit that maybe they should have had their kids at a different time or not at all. Like, and so I feel like the world would definitely be different if you had to activate yeah. your reproductive systems. It's almost like, and I know this is like a horrific dystopian future like it has such a insane capacity for abuse and just horrendous totalitarianism but it's almost like just like there's fluoride in the water supply you'd almost kind of want there to be contraception like just in tap water <laughs> and then you have to go and get a pill to counteract that so that you can have children yeah but obviously, obviously that is like, just we can't remake ourselves. an insane nightmare yeah. scenario. But it's almost like people... God, that's horrible. Yeah, as horrible <laughs> as that sounds, and it is horrible in so many different ways, people don't realize how horrible the reality right now is, where you do have rampant yeah. overpopulation, where you do have so many children who are born and then given into the care system yeah, yeah. to just kind of languish for the next 18 years and accrue all this emotional trauma from not having a family to look after them if you could see how horrible that side of things are 
people might start to think, well, we need to start taking radical measures yeah. and not the scenario I proposed. Obviously, that's <laughs> proposed in jest. But we need to do something so that people take responsibility over their reproductive cycles to the greatest extent that they reasonably can. And we stop this cycle of so many people end up with unwanted pregnancies and then just raise the child and then the child gets to a certain age and they have an unwanted pregnancy and so on and so on until infinity basically i definitely think it is out of sight out of mind because whenever you hear well i've decided to put my baby up for adoption or i'm against abortion so the only option for me now is to put my baby up for adoption you never hear them say, oh, but wait, what if no one picks the child? Like, what if... Not- <laughs> picks the child. Like, they go up to a claw machine yeah. in an arcade and they're like, oh, I want that one. They put a quarter in the slot and they hope to grab it with the little yeah, you never claw. Yeah, you never hear them say that, like, what if they're not selected for adoption for whatever reason? Which I feel like is... It's more often the case yeah, than it's, not. it's more often that they don't get... Because why else would we have so many kids not um, adopted or not fostered or whatever? Um, and I've, you keep saying 18 years for 18 years, and it's really bugging me for some reason. I know that that is what it is in terms of, like, then that person becomes a responsible, a so-called responsible adult, and they get to then make choices for themselves. But if you have been put into the system and no one has adopted you, chances are you're you, not chance. Well, not chances are, because that sounds really bad. But <laughs> I don't want to generalize too much. Um, there's a huge chance that no, is that wrong? You didn't really downgrade <laughs> the rhetoric. You just there's kind of chance, said it in a different way. And I would say a good chance. The odds are against you, basically. For the love of God, just (laughs) say it. We understand. The odds are against you. And it's not like at 18, you're magically going to be, because you can leave the system, you're magically just going to be this amazing human with all these choices at your feet. That's not how it goes. I know what you're saying. You know, you might not have gotten a proper education because you've been moved around. Or you might not have gotten a proper education because you didn't have a good time in the system because you were abused or whatever. Or maybe none of that happened. You stayed in one place your whole 18 years and it wasn't so bad. You still don't have the best choices because you don't have a support system. You don't have those fundamental things that we kind of accrue as we grow. And take for granted. Yeah. So, you know, when people are just like fuck the condom fuck the pill whatever gonna have sex every fucking night of the week with a different person no protection just gonna have babies willy-nilly because they're you know anti-choice i don't like to say pro-life i don't think these people are pro-life because they're not thinking about the life of that child past them giving it up for adoption they're purely just thinking about themselves and what what it means for them whether they'll feel bad exactly for making that choice yeah that so, was yeah. <laughs> that was a heavy one heavy yeah i'm gonna do that every time you're gonna sing and it's not a song i don't know why i always try to turn it into there's a song. gonna be a interlude between each segment where you <laughs> sing <laughs> that would get so annoying i can't sing i know this but i love to 
that would have been cute for me to burst into song, but I missed. I missed. You couldn't the train. think of any songs. No, I missed the train. Yeah. 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 We've gone mad. You're so cute. How do you know if you've gone mad? Do you just say yeah over and over again? I feel like that's a good... There's a loop and then you don't know whether you're real and that's how you know you've gone mad. To bring it back to what we were saying earlier. He. <laughs> <laughs> that was the strangest timing for a hee-hee. People are like, that's it, they've both gone mad. Yeah. In, I'm listening to their madness happen. That would be an interesting idea for a podcast. You set it up so it's like just an innocuous podcast about like, I don't know, cars Trees. or some TV show or whatever. And like every so often you kind of, you need actors to do this. This would be like a project that required planning and kind of tact and careful unfolding. But every couple of episodes you have one of them kind of show the cracks of their like sanity fading away like just a little moment where you kind of get a sense that this person is losing their grip on things I feel like you're describing our podcast and then like <laughs> on episode 50 they everything just kind of gets revealed and they go into some insane rant about lizard people and <laughs> president obama coming from kenya where are your checks that's what i want to know how this is we, an interesting idea, and I feel like someone's going to take this from me. How do we get paid for this? And I would like to Copyright. at least have an executive producer credit. <laughs> is that too much to ask? I want to act in it. No. No. Is that too much? No. 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 Okay, we're mad again. <laughs> Tell me the next topic that you have for me. Tell me. <laughs> You've gone mad. You're going to have so much fun listening to this. Okay, so. The last. <laughs> okay, yeah. Keep all this in, I dare ya. <laughs> you think we won't? We won't just record a four-hour episode. Yeah. Okay. So, my last article to talk about is a short piece I saw on the Guardian entitled "What Is the Protocol If Aliens Make Contact," and it basically runs through the spectrum of ideas about how we should respond if we do get some kind of signal beamed to us from outer space. Are you giggling at that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you giggling at? I don't know. It does sound funny. Signals from outer space. <laughs> the play. The play? I don't know. It just sounds How do you that. show spig spignals in spignals? Spignals in spignals space? Spaghetti. Mm, spaghetti. Outer space, signals in outer space, yeah. from outer space. And so, yeah, I just wanted to talk about what we think will happen if we do receive some kind of contact from a extraterrestrial species. Extraterrestrial. How would they contact us? Like, That's... you've got to assume that they would be speaking in English... Because how else are we going to know it's actually contact? Yeah. If it's a sound, surely it could just be sound waves through. I'm saying things I know nothing about. But like... I see what you're saying. It could it just be some kind of sound astronomical yeah. phenomenon that has produced sound waves or yeah. something like that. Which is totally plausible. But like, so what kind of contact are we talking about? Like, I really feel like they would have to 
speak. Well, and then I guess the other thing would be if it's not English and we just get a message of voices that sound like voices in some kind of language, then I guess. I think you're taking this too literally oh, in okay. terms of you're thinking it's going to be some kind of speech. Well, I feel like how I can't really respond to the thought without really knowing what the contact well, would be. Anything that can't reasonably be explained by some kind of physical phenomenon that doesn't involve sentient life would be contact. Yeah. Anything that we detect has to have some kind of intelligent producer would be in a way contact and an interesting part of this article is that it mentions that there are people right now trying to predict and get ready for this type of contact to kind of figure out what format that kind of contact would be in and I guess it's a field called xenolinguistics, which is like my new favorite word because that's just an <laughs> awesome term. And I just thought it was super interesting that there are already people trying to figure this out beforehand. Because like you said, it is extremely unintuitive to try and figure out how a species that we can't even imagine would try and communicate with us. Because obviously humanity looks at things through this singular paradigm of language being spoken and being yeah. written in a certain way. And there's no reason to think that some kind of life form that is nothing like us would have come to those same conclusions, would have made those same inventions and set those same standards in their culture. But that's... Stay with me here. But that's almost like saying... Flowers are communicating with us when their petals drop off. Like, we don't know because we're not flowers. So we we can't say whether that's true or not. What if all along flowers are just trying to communicate, but as they're doing it, they're losing their petals? Like, I know that kind of sounds crazy, but it also is kind of true to what you're saying. Is this you trying to carry out my, <laughs> my theatrical podcast venture no. into insanity plan this is your first hint that you're dropping that you're starting to lose your marbles because when you said about there's already people trying to decide how we're going to communicate that's fucking ridiculous because we have barely even seen like planets that can do sort of things like that our planet can do and that's just i, I don't know i just feel like they have no fucking idea. Yeah. What well, they're trying to get an alien idea. Would communicate from what planet, if it's even a planet that we know about, or so. There's absolutely no way to know what type of species it would be. So how can you even begin to say how you would communicate? Maybe what they do should be doing is just saying what's the protocol in terms of like who decides, like what. I don't know, but it just kind of sounds a bit silly. Like, how can you possibly be trying to do that right now when there's no... Unless they know things that they aren't telling us, which I'm sure they do. I don't but, think that's a necessary assumption. I think there are certain fundamentals of how communication has to take place between two intelligent life forms. Like, I feel like even though we don't communicate in certain ways we can try to formulate as a thought experiment how that would happen. 
Yeah, okay. Like, if you want to convey an idea (laughs) to something else that has a mind... Try to give, like, an example of, like, communicating in... You'd be communicating, like you said, another intelligent life. So, surely communicating with them isn't going to be that far away from how we communicate. Yeah. We're just going to be maybe using different parts of the body or... Maybe we don't use sound, we use something else. Um, so I get it. I feel like I wasn't like in yet. I was on the outside well, I and think, I wasn't able to see properly. So I kind of get it now. I think you're kind of hung up on thinking about two beings being in proximity to each other and trying to figure out a way to communicate body to body. Whereas alien contact is much more likely to be from their planet at some distant point on the rim of the universe, they find a way to send some kind of light signal, some kind of sound wave, some kind of radio wave, whatever, some kind of artificial means of reproducing their message and beaming that across the universe. And then the question is how we would even know that that is a form of communication. But that's what I was saying earlier when I was on the flower thing. I was totally on that wavelength earlier, but you brought me into like the language sort of slash body to body communication. I was on that kind of like, but how are we going to know it's communication from? I guess we won't know until we get it and we try to decipher it because it, it, you know, like I, like it could just be someone communicating from far away how are we going to know they're communicating um because communication could come in any form and we could just what if what if we have been communicated with like by other beings but we haven't interpreted it properly and we just think it's like light or sound and it's coming from somewhere else and it means something else and it's just kind of like space noise or space light. Space noise. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, I don't know the right term. Well, then. But what if we have been communicated with? Oh my God, what if we have? Well, then it doesn't make sense for you to be ridiculing the idea of people trying to figure out what that context would be i wasn't really on it my natural reaction was just to kind of giggle it sounded um yeah i see what you're saying i think another interesting aspect of it that the article mentions is if some kind of alien race did communicate with us through the vacuum of space from a great distance like if it was more than a hundred light years away, it would take us assuming that we found a way to shoot a powerful enough light signal that distance, which might take some time to invent to begin with. But even if you assume that as soon as we get the message, we respond, that means it's going to take a hundred years for our message to get to them, by which time we'll all be dead. And then it will take a hundred years for the light message in response to get to us in which time probably our children will be dead and so you're talking about if we get a message and a hundred light years is not even very far like it could easily even if it's in our galaxy it could be tens of thousands of light years and if it's outside of our galaxy then 
all bets are off. It could be an insanely long way away where you're talking about it taking more time than humanity has been around for us to send the message back. But if you assume that original proposition, that means that we would get an alien signal today and we will die without having it answered, which is a very sobering prospect. Like everyone thinks of, oh, I just want to know that there's some kind of alien life out there. Like I just want, I just need to know, like I just need that confirmation. But I feel like they'll feel differently when they get some kind of coded greeting from an alien race. And then to know that you're going to die before it gets answered, I think that would create like a profound sense of disappointment and dissatisfaction throughout the whole of humanity. And I'm not sure how we would cope with that as a civilization. Dear aliens, please travel near to the earth before messaging us, but not so near that we're scared and we try to nuke you, but near enough so that we can contact you within 50 years. Yeah. Sincerely, everyone. Oh, but man, even if it's 50 years and that, and this is like, in a way that would be super lucky, but think about that. We get a message and we know that it's going to take 50 years for our message to get to them and for them to send a response, which I guess would mean it would have to be only 25 light years, which I think is a relatively small distance. And so this is like, if you think about it, a really fortuitous turn of events. And yet, 50 years, like we're all just sitting in expectation and anticipation and anxiety for 50 years. (laughs) On our deathbed, but... but but it hasn't come Did yet. Did they respond? <laughs> yeah. That would still be yeah. such a strange event, such a strange thing to inflict upon humanity. This and I feel like that's asking a lot to try and do it in that minute. Yeah. So to try and get it done in less. Unless, of course, it is a case of like, you know, you see in the movies and like they end up here somehow. Yeah. Whatever, which just sounds insane when you say it in the real world. Well, I think in a way... That is the more comprehensible way for things to pan out where they come directly to us and we have kind of a face-to-face meeting. I think it's much more difficult to envision and it's much more difficult to make peace with that we're in the situation of being like long-range pen pals where we send a message and then we have to basically leave instructions for our (laughs) great-great-grandchildren to anticipate a return message and send in response our message. And so it's like this kind of delayed means of generation by generation, just keeping the hope alive that eventually some distant descendant of ours is going to be able to reap the benefits of this extremely, extremely slow means of conversation with some kind of extraterrestrial life form god especially how fast everything is these days it's like if a window doesn't even open like a web browser window doesn't even open in like three seconds i close it yeah but like (laughs) we're now gonna communicate with aliens and it's gonna take generations to can you imagine how messy that will be to like well it was david fox 100 20 years ago who you spoke to but now it's blah 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 and 
you're not going to get my message for another 80 yeah. years or whatever. That would just be... We leave instructions for the next message yeah. to be like, we we mean you no harm. And by then they're like, screw that. We're sending them a message yeah. telling them that they can And then go what to if hell. like NASA blows up or something and like we've lost all... I say NASA because... <laughs> I'm just a layman and I don't know things. <laughs> but what if it blows up and it like takes everything with it and we don't know what the message was or where the location is? Yeah. That would be interesting if we this received a, a, movie. a message, yeah, <laughs> and then we somehow lose the coordinates so we just know that they're out there yeah. and they've made contact but we can't know for sure where they actually are in order to respond. Yeah, and another thing is how do you think human society is going to react to the realization that there are other intelligent life forms out there? Do you think it's going to have the kind of movie-esque, like optimistic, unifying effect where all the peoples of the earth come together in an epiphany of realizing that we're all the same race in the face of a universe that has a bunch of other things that aren't us. Don't know. I feel like something like that's only going to happen when, not when contact's been made, but when we actually know. Like, if it does happen the way we've been talking about, like, it can take absolute, like, a fuck ton of years to get a message there and to get a message back. It will just be a case of there's hype for, like, a week or two where it's like, oh, my God, we've you know and then it kind of turns into a meme or a joke for a bit and then it kind of goes away and then you hear about it again when there's been a little bit more progress like years later i feel like nothing's really going to happen until there's there's been a message here and there's been a message there and then like we actually know what the message is and like it mean what it means until that, I feel like there's nothing to kind of come together for because we don't know anything still. We know what's out there, but we don't. What if the me- what if we think we're getting a message that kind of means something, but what we're getting is just kind of movement from a different planet or something like. And we misinterpret that as like as a message, actual yeah. Communication. So I feel like until we actually, for sure, know it's been decoded and something's been sent back and forth, or you know, maybe the first message is like "We're coming for you." Like you know, until we actually have a solid thing to actually say, this is what it says. I don't think that is going to happen. Besides which, I think instead of having a unifying effect, even in theory. I mean, just for example, there's going to be so many different religions the world over who interpret this as some kind of missive from their particular God. Mm. And they're going to be enraged that other religious sects are doing the same thing when it's so clearly our God who is sending us a confirmation Mm. that we were right all along. How dare you try and claim the same thing? I feel like we could get to the point where it starts some kind of you know, religious warfare where there's a deep acrimony between people of different faiths purely because they feel like this message was meant for them and not the other religious denominations. I can definitely see there being like a bit of chaos for sure. But again, I mean, 
that will all just be like theory until until something has been kind of deciphered, you know? Or until we get like, I don't know, some kind of picture of the message or... It's also interesting to think about the different responses that are going to be sent by different factions. And the article that I'm specifically referencing mentions that there's an organization, SETI, S-E-T-I, that monitors space for any kind of hint of alien communication. They have said that they, if they do detect something like that, will basically just release that information into the public and let people do what they will. And so that means that anyone who can build a machine powerful enough to return some kind of missive into the stars is going to be able to, in a sense, speak for the human race. And so we might get to the point where every country kind of turns its back on the world as a whole and says, no, we should get to be the ones who speak to these aliens and say what we want to say and communicate our perspective on what humanity represents and what we want. I thought of that too. Like what if, you know, loads of other people start sending messages because they figured out how to do it by the information that's been revealed. But the other thing that I thought of was <clears throat> how, how, who decides what to say in response, what to do with the message. Would it be the world leaders? Would it be the scientists? Would there be a vote? Like, I don't even, I can't even begin to kind of know. Or what if it's just simply, what if the people sending us, the being sending us a message are just kind of like asking a question? Because obviously we're not just going to want to respond, spend a hundred years sending a message, waiting for a response to then ask our questions. We're going to also want to ask a bunch of questions. But who gets to decide what those questions are? Are those questions just obvious? Who are you? What are you? Where are you? You know? Yeah. And obviously you want to avoid unintentionally sending the wrong signals. Like you don't want to seem, you don't want to make humanity seem aggressive or domineering mm. in any sense. The emphasis has to be on a kind of peaceful first contact because we don't know how advanced this alien race would be and we might be in a situation where we are basically ants talking to like you know the equivalent of us right now where we can just step on an ant and think nothing of it and if we are in a situation where we're talking to something that is orders of magnitude more powerful than us in terms of either their physical bodies or their technology we have to be extremely careful with how we communicate in turn because we don't want to incense them or give them the impression that we are trying to, you know, whatever, disrespect them yeah. or try to court some kind of war or whatever it may be, because we don't know what might represent that to them. Like the things that we say that we think are completely innocuous and civil, a different race may interpret in a completely different way, and we don't want that. And so that's why we have to be extremely careful. It's so scary to think about getting into it and kind of thinking about what if they are like more powerful what if what if it's like they're almost like sending a warning that they're going to kind of invade like and then all of a sudden they're here and everything's changed forever wow that was a loud firework yeah the fireworks are starting yeah. outside 
I don't know. It's just really. Was that the aliens? <laughs> that was their first salvo of missiles no! impacting capital cities across the world. It's just intense to think about when you really kind of get into it about what's out there. We don't like so much we haven't explored yet. And even the stuff we have when we think there's like no life, what if it's just a type of life and they don't need the type of things that we need, you know? Yeah. Insane to think about. We think about life only in the context of what represents life on Earth. Whereas consciousness may be manifested by other physical combinations of material on other worlds. And so we have to keep an open mind about what constitutes life if we want a good chance of finding something that fulfills those criteria out there in the void of space. I guess we'll know when we'll get our message in 150 years. Well, what's the first message going to be? That's also an interesting topic of discussion. We think it's just going to be kind of a greeting, yeah. (laughs) But you have no idea what it could be. Could it be like a mathematical equation or like something crazy like that? It could be a test. Like (gasps) you have to figure this out in order to determine the coordinates of how to respond (laughs) oh oh wow like a puzzle yeah like only only species intelligent enough to solve this are worthy of returning contact imagine that that's even more frustrating we get some kind of message from an alien race but we're not smart enough to solve it (laughs) and we know that the fact that we're not smart enough to solve it means we've failed their little test they come in anyway and they're bringing their whole family they're gonna protect me when they come well i'll see what i can do no promises i don't (laughs) know how well i'm gonna be able to stand up to like an alien armada of spaceships maybe it'll be me protecting you it could be yeah you standing in the corner holding rudy oh rudy yeah what if there's like other beings, and then those beings have their version of what are pets. <gasps> what if the pets are human? I feel like this is like a 1950s <laughs> lame sci-fi, sci-fi movie. Film we watched? No, I don't want to think about humans as pets. How how did the humans get there? Yeah. Did they grow them themselves? Earth is just a petri dish for no. the production of new pets when people go missing never to be found again that's because they've been plucked they're not taking very many if that's the case then lots of people go missing yeah but you'd expect there to be like millions of but alien abductions if they were trying to they leave too many clues collect pets for themselves <laughs> the pets have pet names not human names so it's like a person called I was going to say a person called Ringo, and then I realised there was a person called Ringo, and it didn't sound as as silly as I thought it was going to (laughs) sound. So, okay, so I think that's the end of all our topics. I think we've reached the end of this odyssey. It's been real, baby. It's been extremely long, is what it's been. It's been good. My butt's kind of fell asleep. Lots to think about. Which is a weird phrase when you think about it, because... What, is your butt awake the rest of the time? Doing separate things without you? Cogitating. (laughs) I'd love to have a band called Cogitating Buttocks. You'll get stickers. 
Why stickers? I don't know, just to kind of put on lampposts and things. Guerrilla marketing. People might put them on their notebooks and things. Is there anything worse than seeing like (laughs) street signs and lampposts and like the side of buildings covered in those crappy little stickers for like underground raves and. It kind of is, but I also kind of loved seeing that in London because you saw that so much and just kind of looking at all the different ones. But yeah, I know what you mean. I wouldn't want to like live next to it. It just kind of gives everything a grimy look like it's like because half of them are so faded you can't even read them anymore they just kind of get overlaid overlaid, it's just like a wallpaper of tat (laughs) okay so to wrap up we'd first like to say that we hope you enjoyed this episode please share it with anyone else you think may like it New episodes are released weekly-ish, we like to say. Ish. (laughs) Yeah. Which basically means we're shooting for a new episode to come out about a week and a half after the last one. Sometimes we go a little bit over, depending on how busy our schedules are and whatnot. But that is what we are shooting for. And so we're going to try and keep to that. You can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much everywhere else you can find podcasts. Or you can go to rtappodcast.com, which is A-R-T-A-T, the initials of after reading this and that, podcast.com, which redirects currently to our SoundCloud page, which is where we primarily host the podcast. And you can send any feedback or comments to rtappodcast.gmail.com. Comments are welcome. Reviews are welcome. They will be read, we assure you. And please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, which really really helps when you're a new podcast. It helps boost the visibility of our show and get more people listening to it. Yeah. And so we'd really appreciate if you could do that for us. We would love it. Love it. So, yeah, we hope you had a cool Halloween and that you'll be careful with your fireworks. Because fireworks are bad. When it comes time to let these strange little bums off in the sky. Bums. What a strange practice that, that we've concocted. a strange, strange thing to do. We don't enjoy fireworks because nah. it scares Rudy. Yeah. He doesn't know what's going on outside. I, I really hate that it, like, scares cats and dogs and all the other tiny little animals that are outside, like hedgehogs. Yeah. To us, it's kind of just, like, distant pops in the sky, yeah. but to them, it seems to, like, really frighten them and drive them crazy. So they must be able to hear it so much more acutely than yeah, us. Yeah, makes me sad. So just be careful and... Stroke your pets lots and lots and give them treats. And get them earmuffs so they can't hear the fireworks Ah, outside. Can you imagine Rudy with little earmuffs, little blue earmuffs on? He would not enjoy us trying to put them on him. (laughs) And he would express his displeasure in a very violent... With scratches and bites and kisses. Oh my god. Yeah. So yes, we hope you have an awesome time whenever it is that you're doing and be safe out there kids. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. 
The music used during the intro and outro was kindly provided by Christopher from soundslikeanearful.com. See you next episode!